just say the first thing that like anybody needs to know when they listen to this podcast the very final episode of the stand Mm -hmm. my first time through incredibly disappointed there was not a sword fight (laughs) so upset about there not being a single sword fight what's the point of this graphic if there's no sword fight welcome to first time through new eyes on castle rock with kim payne and otto mullins Uh, anyways, so welcome to First Time Through. I'm your host, Autumn Mullins. And I'm Kim Peng. And this is my first time through The Stand, chapters 70 through 78. Uh, the final section, the fi- or 71 through 78. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for joining us. If you haven't listened to anything prior to this, there will be some spoilers for the end of The Stand. A lot. <laughs> like all the spoilers. Pretty much the entirety of it. And uh, we're just going to jump right into our review so we start off in chapter 71 and we get a little bit of randy trying to pretty much regain confidence in everything um and it comes right on the heels of that really quick chapter 70 uh which is where he find where trashy finds that atomic bomb right so we come into 71 and he is looking for his party Right. Well, and, and in case you... He's not looking for his party. He's looking for the other party. If you, In case you forgot about the what happened in the last section, the wheels are really starting to fall off for Randy here. You know, Dana didn't talk to him and killed herself. And he got angry with Nadine and threw her off the sun deck and killed her mm-hmm. and his unborn child. All of the pilots are now dead. All of the pilots are dead. He ha- He's like at, at zero again. So he's really trying to uh, refocus and reground himself here and figure out what in the world is going on. Uh, I think one thing that's really cool too is we see uh, Kojak is able to stand up and sense the presence of mm-hmm. the Dark Man. So I think that you know, one of the things that we're going to see throughout this whole section is how protected this group is as they yes. make their travel west. Yes. Um, and this one's really quick, too. It's just to tell us that Randall sees them. He knows that they're coming now. Um, and he's getting ready for it. Right. And uh, I don't sidetrack. Right? <laughs> All right. So, you know, also... Randy threatens Kojak in that chapter. And yes. I'm not a fan of him. No. Because that's, awful. that's that's real evil. True evil right there. True evil is anybody who threatens an animal. So we get into chapter seventy two. And this is probably the longest chapter in the section. And it is essentially it is an excerpt of the entirety of their travels west, you know? Yeah. And we hear about, like, a lot of things that have happened. We hear about them running into the kid, which I thought was a fun little, like, callback. Right, um, right. And them agonizing over it. And then they find Harold's journal in this section. Yep. Which is really interesting in the way that, like, mm, Stu is an evolved man that's all, like, beyond, like, a human being, I swear. He's, he's something else. Um, Kojak continues to be the star of the entire novel. He's the best. Uh, we get to this section. He's a good boy. He's a real good boy. <laughs> uh, the best boy, in fact. The best I think. boy, yeah. Uh, Stu, and this is like, this was a real, I did not expect this at all. Stu falls and breaks his leg trying to climb up a washout, and they end up leaving him behind Larry, Ralph, and Stu, do, or, and Glenn do. Right. So they right. continue west and leave Stu behind with a broken leg. Uh, as they're continuing on, they realize that Kojak's not with them, and Kojak stays behind to help Stu. 
Because he's the best boy. He's the best boy, and he says fetch, and he go gets him gets him wood, and he brings him back a rabbit to cook, and like right. he is single handedly the reason Stu survives. Absolutely, he uh, is. and it's beautiful. And also though, uh, Stu saying goodbye to Larry that I cried during that. Oh yeah, it, I like I just was not expecting like like the tenderness of these two men and like touching his face, and he's just like it's gonna be okay. Like you have to do this now. Like mm, real good, like strong, like male-like leadership. I really liked it a lot. All right, uh, let me get into chapter 73. This is just them uh, being taken into town. Yeah. So yeah. Larry this is, Stu... This is them moving on, Larry, Glenn, and Ralph moving on, and then getting picked up, because we all knew that they were eventually going to get picked up. Mother Abigail told us, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, and at the beginning of 71, we find out that the Dark Man knows they're coming now. So he's so putting he's, up, he's doubling the guard right. and everything, too. Um, it's fun, though, because we do see, like, throughout this chapter, as they're being, um, they get picked up, they get all put into jail, and then you get this section, and it was probably my favorite section of this, is when uh, they go to see Glenn. Oh, yeah. So they go to see Glenn. Glenn and I love Glenn. Glenn... Uh, to his dying moments is tickled pink that they were so scared of this person. Um, bum, 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 bum. So to his dying like death uh, is just laughing in his face, in Randy's face, because he was like, I thought you were going to be so much scarier than you are, but you're just like a blonde country boy. Yeah. And, and he, uh, you know, and he was Glenn the Mouse, who never stopped talking the whole time, which I love, you know, because that's pretty typical of Glenn. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting to me, too, like, it's really interesting to me, too, how much grace that these four characters give to everyone in this camp, too. Mm -hmm. Just the moment that they see any of them, they're like, I know it's not your fault. I know you were misled. I know you were tricked. And it's really informed, too, that they found Harold's journal right before that, because it's like, you know, some of that they had had a slight respect for before he had done all of these things and like realizing that even you know someone that they cared about could have been tricked like that exactly um and yeah and you know i think it's important in this chapter you know lloyd's uh reticence is important in this chapter he doesn't want to immediately do it yeah um so they take him out and uh i think this is yeah they go through the whole uh is this the end where it says, and then white and, yeah, and righteous yeah. and unrighteous alike were consumed in that holy fire. Yeah. So, uh, Glenn gets shot. Ralph and Larry get taken out to the front of the MGM Grand where they've set up this incredible, uh, you know, Spectacle. it's a, it's, it's a Mad Max style thing. Ra it really kind of is. And yeah. Randy's going to put him in cages on the back of these pickup trucks and he's going to take two chains, uh, attached to cars and he's going to rip them apart in half. Yes. He's and going, basically we're, we're getting ready to see an old fashioned quartering. Right. <laughs> uh, quartering. Huh? More like a halfing. Oh, it's going to be a halfing, but yes, but that's, that was the inspiration for it. Um, so then they're there, they get into that, uh, the entire crowd of Las Vegas shows up. Lloyd and Randy are sitting up at the top of the flag. And then out of like the person I least expected to like be a good guy, Whitney Horton, Whitney Horton yeah, he stands cook, up you know? yeah, he's and like, he's no, like, man. come on guys, this isn't right. Like you're all just going to sit here and watch this. Um, and then that moment at the same time, uh, trash can man comes through and he has the atomic bomb and he is basically a skeleton at this point. Right. Like, Pure because radiation poisoning. Pure radiation poisoning. And he's been in the desert, not been eating or drink. He's just, he's in bad shape. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things that I thought was so interesting, too, is the way 
so he brings it up to the front and essentially uh, through a series of events, maybe God's involved. Maybe it's Randy himself accidentally bringing his own. Uh, I do think it's more Randy because uh, I think that that's the thing about God in this novel is that he never directly involves himself. Right. So even though Lawyer do, Larry does think that it looks like the God, hand of God, realistically and based in science and God probably would have known what happened is that when Randall flicked his little fireball off it went up into the sky created an updraft of heat which created a storm and then created that electrical lightning I feel, I feel like that's solid science and, it, and for me it makes more sense that it's Randall's hand himself that brings him down I I feel like and, that makes perfect and sense. And he's going to blame it on the hand of God. Well, he's sure, going to be like, it's your fault. But in reality, it's his fault for losing his cool and burning that guy to a charcoal. Right. Um, and so then the atomic bomb goes off and kills everyone in Las Vegas. Yes. Like, no survivors, period, I right. imagine. Like, And if there is survivors, they definitely are not in this book. Well, and even if there are, they're not well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is chapter 74 to the end of the book is where it really reminded me of a Tolkien novel because <laughs> yeah, it was like, we've, it was we've like... finished the big bad. We're done with that. Now let's the journey home. Yes. Um, and it's beautiful. And I cried a lot during it. Yes. Because um, it is, there's so much in there and we'll go so... through it a lot. Wow. But, um, essentially Stu is stuck there. Stu has the real flu, just the real plain old regular. basic regular flu now. And oh my I think gosh. it's a combination of that and an infection of the broken leg. Yeah. Um, but you know, he keeps focusing on his neck and how his neck keeps to be swelling and he's so scared of Captain Trips in this moment. Um, and he hears the explosion. He tries to climb up to the top of the hill and essentially Kojak carries him up to the right. top of this hill. Yeah. And he sees, he doesn't see on anything. The, on the Eastern side. He goes up on the, or, yeah, on the Eastern side. Not the side he broke his the, uh, leg on. Right. right. He goes up on the other side. So he's at least on the home side. And he gets up there. He sees the mushroom cloud and he's just thinking, and his last thought is how many megatons? And then he passes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's up there at the top of everything. And Kojak goes and he gets his blankets and he gets his everything. And he's sitting up there like almost dying. And then out of nowhere, who comes pedaling along on his bicycle? M-O-O-N. But Tom Cullen. <laughs> Oh, I was so, I, it's like, I knew that was going to happen after, like, the explosion and everything. Yes. Like, that was like, okay, cool, like, Tom's coming west, he broke his leg, like, he's going to have someone. But the moment that it did happen, I was just like, oh, at least those three are all together. Yeah. Like, mm, it really is, like, uh, it's, uh, it's a good Frodo, Samwise, and uh, Marion Pippin, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. It really is. Yeah, they're all just, ret- they're now they're, they're all, trying to get they're home all to together. their happiness. They're trying to get back home. Um, All the things. So basically, they're stranded with a broken leg. They get into a town. Tom literally carries or drags him like 12 miles, like eight hours nonstop. They get him into town. Stu is dying of the flu. And then in the middle of the night, Tom wakes up and he's in his little hypnosis and Nick comes to him. And I think one of the best parts about all of this is we see so many... We'll get into it. Okay, no, I can't talk about it now. because Tom Cullen, like... Good stuff happens with Tom Cullen. Good, Nick good comes stuff. to him, tells him exactly which drugs he needs to give to Stu, gives him those drugs, uh, and then Stu is okay. And they yeah. start, and they decide we're not going to wait uh, for, winter. for winter. We're going. We're going home. And they uh, decide to go through the mountains in the middle of winter. Um, and this is actually, uh, yeah, this is actually the longest chapter. This is a really long chapter now that I'm reading through it. Um, and well, 75 is where uh, Nick takes Tom to find... Okay, so we're kind of combining the two. So 74 is their journey to the first town, and then them going to sleep and him almost dying in the sickness. 75 starts with... 75. 75 (laughs) starts with Tom Cullen having the dream with Nick. 
And um, and Nick gives him really specific instructions of how to take care of him, how to feed him, how to. And then there's like the very like open ended. Uh, and then when he opened, and then when he felt like he woke up, the pill bottles are on the counter. Uh-huh. So there's this very much this is Nick's spirit with Tom Collin. Is it just Tom Collin in his hypnosis doing what he needs to be doing? Right. Um, Either way, Tom Cullen did what needed Tom to be Cullen done. Tom Cullen did it. And, um, you know, Stu's having, like, it, you'd think that it's just terror dreams, but I'm pretty sure, like, they're uh, almost visions of, like, what's going to be happening. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of, it makes me feel like it's God trying to, like, pull him home. Right. And also, we've already learned that when you're at your sickest and you're at your weakest is when God talks to you directly in this world. So... If he is at his sickest and his weakest, almost dying, then he can, you know, right. do that now. Um, and so they're sitting there, uh, and he's finally getting better, and he's not rushing his recovery. And one of the cutest things, he sets up a little movie screen and a generator and stuff mm-hmm. just for Tom just Collin. For Tom. And he's like, thank you for saving my life. I wish I could do more. And it's just, the, it's so cute. Um, and they watch Oliver and Company, which is one of my favorite <laughs> movies. And it just like, I was not a... Mm. Um, so, then, so they make the decision to, to go ahead and try to head home. They get a snowmobile. I mean, which makes perfect sense. And It's like a monster snowmobile, too, right. that has, like, a sidecar for Kojak, too. Mm-hmm. And they're driving along, um, and there's a lot of, you know... You know, it's not too... Nothing through this is particularly... Uh, suspenseful or scary or anything it's just arduous and you can feel how hard it is like he does a good job of making you feel like you know the the cold and that it's taking forever and that it's there's this section here where the wolves don't attack them yes it's starting to make me like really agree with my mom a little bit more because if the wolves are on the side of god it makes sense that the wolves would have came and saved him from the kid i mean and if the wolves are out here watching them on the mountains as they go through um a listener my mother marcia she wrote in and uh she has a really strong theory that trash can man is actually the person that is most protected by god throughout the novel and is the one that is single-handedly responsible for bringing down rain and now as I'm rereading through it, it's just something that's interesting. We'll share that later on. Um, it's a neat perspective. It is. And uh, don't worry, I'll worry enough for both of us. And the way that Stu and Tom, like, work together is really cute. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so then they're just driving along, and then it gets to the first, like, real suspenseful part, and they end up uh, not being able to, they've mentioned it a couple of times before, but the snow is actually above the cars. All yes. of those cars that have been, like, stopped in the intersection, the snow is piled up to the point where there's snow revealing over, over the cars. the tops of the cars. So they can't see any guardrails. They can't see, like, where roads end or anything. Mm-hmm. And they're going through, and they fall off the side of a cliff, and they end up going down through, like, it seems like 10, 15 feet of snow and, like, That's almost what, yeah. drowning. Um, right, drowning in the snow. And uh, Kojak I can't comes even through. imagine. That sound. It just sounds so it's painful. terrifying. Um, well, that and, like, the way that he describes the snow burn in the throat, mm-hmm. like, really hits home. Uh, again, best boy Kojak saves them. They get pulled out. They go back to town, and they uh, pretty much decide that they're going to start uh, getting re-prepared to keep going. They're, right. like, they're not going to let them stop. Uh, there's this fun part where uh, <laughs> Stu has to explain what weed is to Tom Collins. <laughs> yes, he does. It's really fun. Yeah. Um, and then... 
we get this little part where like Stu's just like, oh, is that the day it is? I got to go back into town. And Tom's like, what is it? And he's like, don't worry about it. I'll be right back. And he goes into town and then it's like, oh, it's Christmas Eve. And it's just talking about like the area. And then the next scene is him waking up and he's like, Merry Christmas, Tom. And he's like, Christmas? It's Christmas? And he's like, yeah, look, even Santa left you some presents. And he's like, yeah. what? Oh my gosh. And it uh, literally what? like, yeah, I was crying. <laughs> crying crying. Um, uh, and yeah, it was like, finished rereading this this morning i was wandering around the house crying and then things the little and, uh, oh medallion God. he gives to tom and he's yes. like if you ever in your entire life think of anything you need you come and ask me mm-hmm. mm. cute mm-hmm. um so uh yeah we can keep going about this but they get home after this like that's the biggest I like mean, yes so ultimately the, the that's the, the last like big uh event event that happens home. And then from then know, on, it's just cute. And then basically, it's the end. Not, I don't know. And they lived happily ever after. I mean, it's oddly like, and then they lived. So just to like, re, uh, they pull up in. There is one of the. It's Billy Ho- Billy Garinger, not the Billy Garinger. He's yes. the kid that uh, was driving around in the free right. zone, and he uh, and was kind of the one that was like the impetus for them getting police officers in the first right, place. Right. Um, and he's like, yeah, Franny's in the hospital. Uh, and he's really ominous about the baby, and he's like, well, it's sick, and it's got the captain trips. And so everyone kind of freaks out, and, like, it's been a big talk with Tom, and Stu's like, I gotta go see my woman. Right. Uh, and so he goes into the uh, hospital, Franny's there, um, and she thinks she's hallucinating when she sees uh, Stu, and then she's like, no, you're real, and they cry yeah. and, like, hug and kiss, oh and gosh. it's really cute. It's a, you know, Franny does have no value to this novel, except to increase Stu's... Uh, emotional pull like my emotional connection to <laughs> Stu is so much stronger because of Franny and that is really Franny's only she does nothing else um I guess she yeah no she does nothing else then we get into China. she has the first baby that's going to start repopulating the world yeah but as we learn there's also 85 other pregnant women so it's yeah, like she's not know, that she's important first. okay she's first good job you were the first one to have sex after you were the oh, luckiest one no. to have sex before yeah. the right. pandemic hers is the first baby that you know didn't and that's the big thing parents. so then uh pretty much from this point baby on peter she names him peter after peter after her dad. her dad which is cute um we find out that the babies that are born, if you have one parent that is immune, um, it seems that the babies are going to go through a, you know, about a two-week process where they have to fight off Captain Trips, and they have a significantly higher chance of beating it because they have the antibodies already. Right. We learn that out of the eight babies that are born in the free zone, only two of them die. So it seems like it's really strong chances that any of those babies and any of the babies that are born with two immune parents also survive. Like, right. they're just pretty much born with the antibodies. Uh, Stu... And, uh, not Stu, Franny says that she wants to go back to Maine, essentially. And Stu says, yeah, I'm not really liking how things are turning out here. Uh, And, you know, we get some more, uh, we pretty much just get some examples of how it's going to exactly turn out like America was before. Right. And how it's going to turn out into exactly like the society was before. And Stu's like, yeah, I don't really want to be here for when that happens. And they go back to Mother Abigail's cabin. And they're just like, I think we're going to stay here for a while. Yep. And they got them and Peter and Kojak. Yep. And... Only thing I wish, I wish I would have got something with Tom. 
Like, yeah. if you're going to make Tom, like, that important at the end, like, at least be like, and then Tom Holland, like, had his little house and he did his thing and, like, he would live to be, like, very old or, like, just yeah, give just me something. something. Just something. You know, it could be, like, the Frodo at the end of Tolkien. It's like, you know, and then he drove off on his boat and we never saw him again. Right. Here's all of the other stories. Right. But, like, just something with Tom. Um, and then we do get a little fun, like, it's almost like a tag. Yeah. Uh, and it's called The Circle Closes, which makes, like, it's really fun because Randall pops up uh, after the explosion, and it's, like, with this group of uh, dark-skinned uh, indigenous people, and he's trying to speak all these different languages to them, and they don't recognize any of the, He doesn't recognize any of the languages they're speaking, mm-hmm. and he's just like, this works perfectly. Ha, 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 ha. Um, which pretty much tells me that, like, this is a big circle. Like, right. you know, he got sent back and, like, you know, he can't he actually... Over. Yeah, he can't be killed. He just gets sent back to the beginning. Right. So now he's back at the beginning when he first was uh, whatever his name is. And now he's changed his name to Richard something else. Montego or Faringo? Russell Faraday. I will come to teach you how to be civilized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the end of the novel. Yeah. So let's take a second to cry about it. I know. Oh and my gosh. come back oh. from some analysis. Yeah. So we came to the decision that when we initially set up our Patreon, that we really didn't give you guys enough or options and one of the options was to give us five hundred dollars <laughs> which in hindsight is ridiculous uh so uh we revamped the levels this week and if you are currently a patreon be watching because we will be getting you some new things mm-hmm. to go with your levels based on those of you who have been with us since the beginning um if you are looking to support us going forward um take a look at the levels because there are some pretty cool things that will happen and that you will get there's four levels right now, and for $2, you will get access to our Patreon, which has early access to our episodes, usually a day or two early. Also, we're going to be starting to put exclusive mini-episodes up on our Patreon, the first episode coming out probably next, or Friday, or no. We will decide the soon. schedule for that soon, but the first episode of it will be covering the Stand Miniseries TV show episode one, and our thoughts and how it responded to the book. Um, you'll also get a digital phone background of our first time through logo, which we will send directly to your email. The next level up for five dollars, um, you for the next level up for five dollars, we'll also get you exclusive access into our Patreon, where you will get those exclusive episodes. But you will also receive a super cool sticker in the mail. So we'll email you, ask you for your address, and send that out to you. And at this tier, you start to garner rewards after consecutive months. So after three consecutive months at the five dollar tier, we're going to send you a handcrafted first time through pint glass. At six months, we're going to send you a handcrafted first time through exclusive Patreon t-shirt. Now this is just going to be a t-shirt design that we make exclusive for all of our patrons that get to that level. The next level up is going to be $10. This is going to give you everything that we just talked about, the exclusive access, you're going to get the phone background, you're going to get the super cool sticker, but you're also going to get all those rewards a little bit earlier. So instead of it taking three months to get your pint glass, it's only going to take you two months, bringing it down from $30 to $20 essentially. Mm -hmm. And we're going to send you that handcrafted first time through pint glass. And then at four consecutive months, bringing that t-shirt price down from 60 to 40 essentially, while also getting all of those other benefits, we will send you that exclusive first time through uh, t-shirt as well. Now our biggest and final tier coming in at $20, 
comes with everything we've just talked about, but with even more fast-tracked exclusives. So you're going to immediately get your super cool sticker, and we're going to even immediately send you the pint glass just for signing up at that tier. Now, after three months at this tier, we're going to send you that exclusive Patreon t-shirt. And at six months, Kim and I are going to design a first time through New Eyes on Castle Rock t-shirt exclusively for you based on your favorite Steve novel. It can be whatever you want. We'll talk to you, figure out what you like, and we're going to go pick out your size, your favorite shirt, and we're going to figure out exactly what we want to send to you. Because we really want anything that we send to you to be handcrafted and special from us, because anything that you give us means the world to us. So we want our stuff to mean that to you. Thanks for supporting us. And if you are already there, be watching for your goodies. Thank you so much. Yeah, so I uh, to start off this analysis in a different way, uh, we had talked about this just a second ago. It just really like got me, and it mm -hmm. made both of us go, hmm. Um, this is something that my mother sent in, and if you have anything you want to send in, please send it to us on Facebook. We can read it. I have, we have another story to read for when we get to different seasons. Um, but this is what uh, my mom, Marsha, had to say. Uh, first, I have to say... Ugh. First, I have to say, I'm really enjoying hearing about Otto's first time reading. As one of my favorite books by King, both of you have been a great joy. Junior, that's what my family calls me because I'm named after my father, love your guesses as to what is coming next, and Kim, how do you not bust out laughing? <laughs> However, I think you are missing an aspect of Trashy. Did you ever consider that he was the one touched by God? I recall one of you mentioning feeling bad for Harold, and he had had a hard life and made bad choices. Trashcan's life was one, if not the worst life, before. He mentions after the burn in Indiana that it was his real first bad burn and how he disliked it on his body, the pain. To make it through the play to make it through to play his role in the book, he had to be guided there. God was protecting him to keep him alive to do goods uh, goodwill through a human. How could you not feel sympathy for one and not the other? I also agree with Junior's stance at the beginning that Franny is not my favorite, and that her role in the whole book is for her hooking up with Stu and pushing Harold to play his role. I mean, does she really have any other role? Anyway, love the show. Thanks for putting it out there. Um, I would say agree with you 100% about Franny, uh, especially after finishing the novel. She has even less of a purpose than I thought she was going to have because you could have had Harold's demise and downplay. All of that could have happened for any other number of reasons. I mean, it could have, but... The biggest thing that Franny does is give reasons to Stu to try so hard. Yeah. Which, I, you know, I mean, I guess there is a level of importance to that, too. Um, and I think for I think Harold needed a catalyst that he knew. Uh, we'll get into that more we, when we... We digress. We're gonna, we have a full-on argument scheduled for Franny. But the trash can segment, I thought that, that is a really interesting I mean, thing yeah, to think about, too. It is different. I hadn't really ever thought about it that way, but it does make sense. There's mm -hmm. a certain certain amount of sense to that. You so. know, um, especially if we are just trying to look at, uh, if we do, you know, I'd originally put Tom Cullen and Trash Can Man as like opposites of each other. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it as Harold and Trash Can Man as opposites of each other, yeah. and you frame it instead of one of them, you, you look at Harold as Trash Can Man instead of being there to like help as pretty much being like uh, an anti-hero an inside yeah. man that is just there for his own good Th then harold being his counterpart kind of makes sense a lot more sense because you know harold does the same thing on the other side 
you know, and it's the end of the day, it's both of them pushing away anybody that was nice to them and those times when they did feel like they could be brought into a group and then still pushing away from it. But in Trashy's case, when he tries to take it, he just can't. And he still like messes up. And and because he's, he doesn't have the capacity at all to, to do that because his, he's just his brain is not functioning properly at all. Right. Especially by that point. Um, I do think... And he was hallucinating from the, the scorpion, scorpion. Which definitely didn't help at all. Right. But at the same time, you know, maybe he, through a whole character, isn't being, you know, guided by God. But that scorpion... Right. Stings him and starts that hallucination off and starts that one... It just takes that one sentence to, right. like, for Trashy to literally destroy everything. Yes, it does. And I think he needs that redemption and then to go find the atomic bomb, which leads to everything. Um, I think one thing that we just talked about a little bit, too, before is the wolves. And right. if the wolves, we you know, we've spent the... In, they're, it's interesting. It makes me think almost all animals are probably controllable by either side and yeah i think so um except i except for the crows i think that the yeah, crows, crows are definitely for sure randy Randall. slash russell slash richard yeah so uh and the weasels oh and the weasels yeah but i feel like that's that makes i don't know why that one makes a lot of sense for me yeah i accept weasels being his he can have all the weasels he wants yeah um and, and you know the wolves i think i don't i don't hate the fact that they could go on both either side. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so let's just jump right into this uh, Stark Little Analysis. Thank you so much for reaching out. Thank you. Uh, we can't wait to hear what everybody else has to say about the stand now that we're, now that I'm through it. And... Yes. And we can talk about all the details. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I don't think a lot of this really needs too much analysis because some of it, like this chapter 71 is just. No. I mean, I think that, you know, at the beginning of 71, when Randall sends out the eye and finds out that Nadine was right, that the that Mother Abigail did wake up and she did send the guys and that they were coming. Um, you know, I think that that was important, that he really did know that he, he didn't know as much as he thought he did. It's especially got to be jarring because Nadine had left after that. So how did Nadine know? Right. You know, it's obviously like she had just been probably told by God or like. Right. Well, she had another dream. Yeah. You know, she actually, she finally, she finally had a dream of Mother Abigail. After all this time, she finally had a dream about Mother Abigail. So, you know, we're finally, of all the characters I expected to flip, it was, I guess I kind of had called her to do a flip. Yeah. But I, it makes sense that it was after like he'd taken everything from Mm -hmm. her. You know, like, finally that promise is fulfilled, and now she has the courage to stand up to it. Right. And, you know, and basically, you know, it was kind of that suicide by cop thing. Right. You know, she she didn't have it in her to kill herself, but she pushed him to kill her. <laughs> yeah, she did. And uh, we also get the um, Kojak can sense the dark man around. Which I think makes perfect sense, because, mm-hmm. you know, dogs are they've always got kind of a preternatural supernatural sense sense of, of things, you know, they smell things and, you know, animals, there's many, 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 many stories of animals sensing tornadoes and earthquakes and just natural events. So the fact that he can sense this supernatural, did he ever, did Lloyd ever use that key? Nope. Huh? It was just, it was just a, a symbol. symbol. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I was just thinking about that too. Like also 
when would he have ever used it? Right. No, it was just. It's it just was to keep of, a control was, of Lloyd. It was. It absolutely just was to remind a him like device. you wouldn't be here without that key. Right. So make sure you have it here, handy. Here, I've, I've given you the key to the kingdom, but you know I'm not really. There is no any, kingdom. There is no kingdom. Right. Um. Uh. Sorry, I just had that thought, like, as you were saying. And then I was just thinking about this eye and, like, everything about how he can see through it and all of these mm-hmm. things. And, you know, what's interesting about this book is there's just so much supernatural stuff and stones and rocks and random stuff that's introduced that's just never thoroughly explained. Right. You know, Randall himself is in no way explained except, like, that he has... He is eternal. Right. And, you know, I think that that is a real good symbol for, you know, that that unfortunately evil is always going to exist in the world. And, right. And even if you blow it up with a nuclear warhead, it's still just going to pop up somewhere else. Yeah. Especially random, this version of evil. Yes. This personification of evil is, right. is really, yeah. No, and it's the fact that he makes evil so bigger than it actually is like he he gives it's evil in this book reminds me of like one of those lizards that puffs up real big when they're being attacked and it's like it looks so much scarier and worse than it is and it's like oh my god that thing could be poisonous but if you just run over and kick it it's like uh and it runs away right but at the same time i think that the personification is important because it also he also makes him just look average he just looks like any old guy yeah, now, I think what's interesting, though, too, is in the 70s, that personification is just, like, it's actually more of a, uh, probably more of, like, an American hero to archetype, you know? The southern uh, denim jacket and it wearing everything now, 2020, that kind of archetype is what you're going to uh, assume with, you know, a lot of, like, the more domestic terrorist organizations that are involved in America right now. Like, that is almost an exact archetype that you saw at the insurrection in January. Yep. So it's weird. It's interesting how character types can change that drastically in 40 years. Yes. You know, when he used it here 40 years ago, he probably used it because it was an average dude. And it's just like evil can come from anywhere. Exactly. Now, when I read through it though, I see a Southern good old boy that is super racist and transphobic. And right. I think that, you know, it plays right into it even more now. Well, and, and he was, portrayed earlier in the book as being at, you know, the Democratic National Convention and the Kent State. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, because this was set, you know, originally written in the 70s, you know, those things were real, you know, the whole world was watching. Watching in those moments. Yeah. those moments. Um, It's just interesting how he personifies evil through Randall and what Mm -hmm. that personification must mean that he thinks evil is. Right. Yeah. Um, 72... Uh, we get into this is the big travel chapter, so yeah. we hear about all the days that have kind been... of the highlights of the 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 dudes traveling west, and you know Larry being kind of the um, the the captain of the ship. You know he's the one keeping the log. The first day they walked twenty eight miles, yeah, twenty eight miles, and the next day twenty seven, and mm-hmm. you know, and then as they started going downhill, it was thirty two. And turns out Larry was the Han Solo the whole time. Yep. <laughs> he was the one that was going to be forced into leadership and not and, want it in any way. In any way, yeah. Um, you know, and then this is also two things that pop out right here in this first couple of pages that I really loved. First one, um, they mentioned the Wolfman, and the Wolfman to them is what we, the readers, know as the kid. Right. And it's this man uh, who was found in the middle of a 
uh, traffic jam and there was a bunch of wolves, dead bodies of wolves around him. And he had obviously like starved in there. Yeah. Um, which is fun to see it from this point of view because it, it's terrifying to our party as they get to the Lincoln Tunnel. Um, Eisenhower Tunnel. Eisenhower Tunnel, thank you. Um, the reason I think of the Lincoln Tunnel, though, is because the second thing I think that's really important about this is in the first time Larry's going through this tunnel uh, alone, um, and it is alone, so it is a different another uh, aspect of it, and it's at the beginning of everything, he's a different person, but because of that, the first time he goes through a dark tunnel, there's it's, you know, 70 pages. Right. And it's so scary and it's so tense. And this time he's just like, we tied a rope to each other and walked through the dark. Yep. And it's just like, that's what we did. Next, 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 next part. Next thing. Yep. And it's like, he's literally inside of the Lincoln or the Eisenhower tunnel thinking about how, man, did those wolves come to get that man? And he's thinking about these terrible thoughts while he's in this terror, like scary situation. But there's, it shows from this point on, we see that power of being the envoy of someone. You know, knowing that that, you're sent there. And to not be alone. Yeah. I think for the first time in his life, Larry, with with this group, that Larry doesn't feel outside. Yeah. He, He actually feels like he's where he's supposed to be. And, you know, he does talk about it, about, you know... A little bit further on in this chapter about you know he finally likes himself and he thinks that his mom would like the man he had become and yeah you know i i feel like that that's a, a big thing too it's that? a really big thing because the entire time it's almost one of his biggest impetuses is being is just that voice in his mom just right at the end you're a taker that's all you'll ever be and just prove almost in spite of proving her wrong to make sure that like she died for a reason. Right. She died to make her son better. Yeah. In his eyes. In his eyes. And I think that that's really important. And he does such a good job of coming through on that promise. Um, and Larry's character development in this literally made me go, I'm going to name someone Lawson one day. Yeah, like, right. Sh- wow, it was so good. <laughs> My next dog. <laughs> yeah, Lawson or Kojak, honestly. Yes. Lawson Kojak. Lawson Kojak. There um, you go. Then uh, they find, you know, something that was fun because last episode I complained about how Harold's death was so insignificant and, like, we didn't even get Stu's, like, reaction to it. But he died in a way that they were able to find his journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're a little angry because with him being dead, they say it's a waste of Sue and Nick, a waste of himself, too. Right. But it literally is not more than two paragraphs where... It is nothing. There's no animosity towards Harold. There's not a single bad feeling about it. In fact, Stu goes as far as to say, I'm going to do worse to the dark man now because of what you did to Harold. Yeah. Like, that is a, like, that is a beautiful, like, that is, like, true, like, love and protectorship. It absolutely is. And the fact that, you know, he understands that, you know, for all of the things that Harold felt wronged about with, with Stu and Franny and... I know technically neither one of them did anything directly wrong to Harold because that's that's just how life is. That's just how life is. But the perceived wrongs, you know, even with all of that, Stu knows that Harold realized that they really did care and that he really screwed up. And, you know, it's sad. And I know that you still didn't like the way Harold died but this gave it a lot more res- like this gave the, me a lot I, more of I knew I that you would at least feel like there was more resolution after you read this section oh man well it's also just 
it seems like every step that they go through this chapter is another reason why they need to get to Randall and win. Mm-hmm. You know, it's they're talking about how they've been doing it for so long, and they're talking about Franny, they're talking about Harold being dead, they're talking about uh, what it's going to be like after, they're talking just about Glenn's arthritis, like all of these things, and it just gives you that sense of this is another reason why we need to do this. Right. You know, we've got to do this to to fin- to save the world, to make it, or at least to try so that it doesn't go back to the old ways. Right. We and have to make this effort. We get, you know, I think that one of the coolest parts about Glenn's character for me is it's the moments for Stephen King to be philosophical about the situation. Mm-hmm. It's the moments for him to, like, really think existentially about, like, what do we, like, what does this mean to this character? How does, like, this perceived throughout this world? And Glenn goes pretty much explains how their current journey is that of a spiritual cleansing. Mm -hmm. They're giving up all of their material things. They're giving up all their previous attachments and it's making them stronger and their comforts and everything that would have normally made them hide. And if you were scared, you would hide in those comforts. If you were not sure of what to do, if you're anxious and nervous, you'd hide in those comforts, but not having any of those comforts there to just constantly be heading North towards the thing that's giving you that anxiety and that Mm -hmm. fear is in a way cleansing them of that fear and anxiety. Yes, um, because they they are they are forced to deal with their confront things. it. They're, every they're minute. forced to confront it. Yes, every minute and uh, yeah. They have these sections too where they're just having these dreams. Uh, all of them have the dreams and they're like, "I won't, I will fear no evil. I'll fear no evil. I'll feel no evil." And it's mm-hmm. really just like we're talking about, like you know, when you're the envoy of a god, you know, you have right. a preternatural power. You have this something more. You do. Um, so they talk through Glenn and Glenn talks them through all of this and they talk about how, uh, it's like a, being a different person. And Larry is like, yeah, it's, I feel like I, I'm always a little high now. Like, yes. you know, maybe it's the hunger, but I also do think it's just my mindset now, you know, right. like aiming towards that positivity and everything. Right. Um, and you know, it's high without the disconnection. Yeah. That's what he talks about. You know, it's the whole, uh, the whole body feeling. And it's good to see that they are having, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going through slowly. No, I'm at 1148 and 1149. That's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. I just want to make sure we're on the um, I like seeing them having these uh, moments of clarity and calmness. Yes. Because it tells yeah. me, go ahead. They're going, they know, they know in their heart of hearts, they know that they're going there to die. Yeah. But they're, you know, just, they're calm and collected and, and, there's not a sense of just resignation. Um, there could be, you know, it could be that they were just, you know, plodding along and yep, we're going to die and this is awful and it's, it's terrible and awful, but there's not a sense of terrible and awful. There's a sense of this is what we're supposed to be doing and, and it's for the good of everybody. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to do this. Um, I like this section here uh, as they've been walking through and they're going about, uh, they find this pack of animal crackers and they split it and they're all just really enjoying these animal crackers. And then they find this can of ham mm-hmm. and none of them can stomach it. And it just made me think like they've been eating pretty much now for eight months with almost no preservatives and all of these extra additives and all of these things, except for the canned food they found and eat ate in that first, you know, couple right. of months right. since they probably got into the free zone it's definitely been but more fresh food any, and stuff they haven't had any preserved meat yeah you know they've had deer and 
probably rabbit and things that. And they probably had a stew and like a canned mm-hmm. stew and like that kind of stuff. But like canned meat like this is just not real compared to like a venison or a rabbit. Right. It's something, and they it's just not what any of them want anymore. Right. Uh, which I think is. It goes back to, you know, those are the old comforts. Yes. You know, you have the old comforts of your canned ham and being able to just immediately have it. But sometimes you have to go out and look for your rabbit and you have to bring it back. You have yeah. to put in the work. Uh, and I think that that's kind of what they're all starting to feel now is like putting in that work and getting those things is much more satisfying than just stumbling upon ham. Um, oh. Yeah. So then this next section is yeah. big washout where essentially... It seemed like uh, water coming down from off of the mountains has washed out a big section of the road, and it's like a 50-foot drop down, uh, and then so they have to climb down one side and then climb back up the other side, and it doesn't look particularly like a straight drop down. It's like a slope, but the slope in its of itself is all loose rubble and dirt. Right. So there's nowhere to, like, there's no good there's purchase. There's not any good, yeah, there's not any good way to do it, and you know, everybody's worried about Glenn, because Glenn's the oldest. Old guy. So yeah. they're sitting there and they go through, they got all the down, uh, you know, it's, they have this part where Kojak's just running up and down the hills up and yeah. over and over and they're just like, show, show off. off. <laughs> um, they get Glenn up there and then Stu's like, all right, I'm going to go next. Um, I really like how this is written though too. Uh, it's just Stu sensed that it wanted to be evil mm-hmm. and he went up himself. His chest was over the edge when the knob of the op crowding his left foot was on suddenly disappeared. Yeah. So he was almost at the tippity top. He was about to be there. And then he, his foot fell out. And it sends him falling backwards, head over heel. He still had, uh, he's grab, trying to just grab onto anything. It has this really good lithograph here, which I liked a lot. It really, yeah, like, this is really great. showed what it was, really. And he falls backwards and he hears his leg snap twice. Yeah, he he knows it's bad. He falls down on the ground and he passes out. Um, Ralph and Larry and Glenn come back down. They splint up his leg and Glenn gives him his arthritis pills, which we find out have actually probably been in Vicodin or something this whole time. Right. Uh, and uh, Some morphine-based pain medicine. Yeah. And this... Oh, man, this section got me real good. Oh, yeah. I cried pretty oh hard. I, had, I stopped reading after I finished this chapter. Um, but... Larry. Yeah, this is where you texted me and was like, oh my god! Yeah, this is where I was like, I'm sobbing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Larry, Stu, and Glenn come back down and, or no, Larry, Glenn, and Ralph come back down. Mm-hmm. And Stu essentially says, you know what you have to do? You have to keep going. And right. he says, Larry, you're in charge now. And Larry's bawling his eyes out. And he's like, come on, we gotta go. And uh, Ralph and Glenn are like, come on, let's go. And he's like, I can't, I can't leave another person. I cannot abandon another person. Yeah. Larry's sense of duty is just it's, overwhelming. But where is... But they, they have to make him understand where his real duty lies. Right. And the difference in this one is his duty to everyone else is going to outweigh his duty to right. Stu right now. And even yes. Stu wants that to be the case. Right. I mean, because they all know that that's what it has to be. Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah, I know. And, uh... Man, and then when when Glenn tells Stu that, you know, more than three or four would probably be fatal, he's giving him permission, I feel like. Well, yeah, it's a permission. It's a, uh, we won't think less of you. Right. 
Uh, and then it ends with, and then they never saw Stu Redman again. That was Ugh. not a great sentence to read. Um, no. But, knowing what you know about No, now, now, it's because of, like, the yeah, it's a good right, way to... Right. Um, there's a, there was, like, one thing that, like, there was one sentence I really wish I would have highlighted. I meant to. I forgot to. Um... Yeah, I'll probably just have to find it when I read through it again. Right. Because um, you will. <laughs> and now you understand. I'm really curious, too. I kind of want to read the smaller version and see, like, what the differences are. Yeah. And, like, I'm just curious what the story is without it. We'll have to it. track that yeah. down. We'll have to track two of those down because mine, do <laughs> mine got dropped in water. Oh, uh, okay. So it's, like, completely a trash copy. <laughs> um, 73, we come back in after all of that, and it is Larry, Ralph, and Glenn continuing on, mm -hmm. but we come back to Stu, and Kojak was there, and he came back, and Kojak brings him a rabbit, and he's just, he, Stu is crying, good dog, right, good, good dog, dog. Yep. and he's like, Wood, can you get me that? And he just looks at him, and he's like, fetch, and then Kojak flies off and brings him back wood uh, to make this fire with. Right. Um, Within 20 minutes, brought back enough wood for a large fire. And so Kojak is amazing. Amazing. Um, and Stu makes the rabbit, and he splits it with him. Uh, and he sits there, and he's like, I'm not going to sleep. There's no chance I'll sleep. And then he immediately falls asleep uh, with Kojak next mm -hmm. to him. So you, Glenn, Stu has a chance. Right. And, like, that's more than we ever thought before when they right. left him. When it was, he had him. no chance. He's done for. But now it's like, okay, Stu, you can make this. Right. Because um, you've got Kojak on your side, and Kojak's a good boy. <laughs> yeah. The best boy. Um, Larry and Glenn and Ralph continue along. And essentially, we get a lot of Larry's anxiety dreams through here. Yes, we do. Um, he's really, you know, um, I think one of the interesting things, too, is he looks at it as though he's getting ready for a performance. You know, he's got to put on this act for the dark man and everyone that's mm -hmm. about to pick him up. So they finally get up to a group of people and it is, uh, and I like the, I like the, what if you can't, can you, what if you can't, where is that at? Bottom of page 1060. What if you can't, you know, what if you want to, but what you, if you can't want to and you can't, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's all kind of a game of, can you? No, Ma. Oh, yeah. Make it nice for the people, Larry. Who's that? His, well, well, whose voice was that? His mother's? You're a taker, Larry. No, Mom. No, I'm not. I don't do that number anymore. I stopped doing that one when the world ended. Honest. Yeah. It's good. It and he good. associates that with, baby, can you dig your man? And so, you know, that entire time like that he's had that in his head, he's just like, I'm not that person anymore. I'm, right. I'm, I'm past that. Um, they get down, and there's four men down there. And it is... Uh, the only one that we're really familiar with is Paul Balson or Paul Burson, Burlson. Yeah. And he has been at the, uh, in the MGM lobby when we've been in there the last couple of times and, uh, they get arrested and they get sent into Ralph and arrested. <laughs> yeah. They pretty much, uh, just get taken to the prison. Ralph and Glenn or Ralph and Larry are in one and then Glenn is in the other. One of my favorite things, uh, Glenn says, uh, who are you arresting me in whose name? And Burl says, you know who I speak for. And he says, say it. And he's like, are you afraid? Are you not going to say it? And he's like, his name's Randall Flagg, blah, 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 blah. Call him Legion, call him Bezelbub, call him uh, Riley and Satie and Anubis. Those are all of his names. And if you're going to be 
like if you're gonna work for him at least say his name right and, uh and uh his name is legion and he's an apostate of hell and you meant kiss his ass just thought we ought to have that out there <laughs> right it's gonna be a good glenn. scene I yeah love glenn. um so they take glenn and they put him in one car larry and ralph are in the other car um they're uh driving him back and essentially they're like why are you here and he's like oh we're gonna kill flag and they're just like what <laughs> so i can only imagine if you're one of these regular dudes out here on this guard patrol the you know the devil at least like that's what i would imagine if i'm in this situation i'm pretty sure that dude's the devil right and right? he tells me <laughs> to go stand out here and then these three dudes just show up and they're like hey, hey we're, we're gonna, gonna go kill him, kill him. right <laughs> What are you doing in that car in that moment? Are you are you flipping sides? Are you sticking with the devil? Like, right. how and, do but, you decide? Yeah. Um, they get them all and they put them all into separate cells, and uh, you get a little bit of cooperation, well, not cooperation, but you get to like hear them talk with each other. Right. And Larry, most of it's all from Larry's point of view, and Larry gives him no information. He's no. not telling him nothing. He's not talking. Um, and he just says, "I will fear no evil," and he falls asleep. Um. And they're just pretty much biding their time waiting for Randall right, Flagg. Right, right, because they know they know they're there. They know he's going to kill them once he's got them. They know that he's going to kill them, and it's just what are they going to be able to do to take take them down to take the bad guys down to? So yeah, so then Randall Flag and Lloyd go to meet Glenn. Go to meet Glenn and God, Glenn in his mouth. Oof. Um. It's interesting, too, because uh, all of a sudden, Randall Flagg has another new power where he can make your ailments worse, mm -hmm. um, which makes sense, I guess. Like, if you're going to look at, like, some ancient, not ancient, <laughs> if you're going to look at, like, theological scripts, like, you know, the power of plague and pestilence has mm -hmm. always been a power of evil. Um, and so he makes his arthritis worse that he's talking to him, and Glenn's such a, like, bad man that he's, like, doesn't even bother him. He's yeah, like, my, my arthritis better. is actually better since I've been mm -hmm. here. I got to be inside. Thank you. Um, and la Glenn just spends the entire time laughing in the dark man's face. Yes, he just does. Just straight up. And you can just see Flag getting so angry about it. He says, stop laughing. Glenn laughs harder. Stop laughing at me. You're nothing. Oh, pardon me. It's just that we were all so afraid. We made such a business out of you. I'm right. laughing as much at my own foolishness at your regrettable lack of substance. Uh, and then immediately shoot him. Well, it's right. just like, he's like, I can't actually control. Like, I actually have no control over you. You're better than me. And you just start to realize that Randall Flagg is more human than anyone else. He is. And the more out of control he gets the more human he gets. Yep. And that's why when he's calm and cool and collected, he can float and do magic and do all these and things. hypnotize people. You laugh and, in his um, face or get him angry, he's just going like, to burst out boom. of control and punch you. Yep. And he has no thoughts to like be like, I can just calm down and strike you with a thunderbolt, but instead I'm going to run over and punch you in the face or throw you out a window, Nadine. Right. Um, or, at, or make somebody else shoot you. Somebody that he has had his thumb on since the very beginning and even Lloyd's like, uh, I'm not sure that. And then he, I mean, of course. He does he it, does but it. it's only at the end because Glenn 
pretty much baits him into it. Yes. He's, he says, you don't got to do it. You know he's lying to him. Shoot him. Shoot Randy and save right. us all some time. He shoots Glenn three times after that. Right. And then Glenn gets up and he says, it's all right, Mr. Henry. You just don't know any better. And then Lloyd shoots him again. And he finally kills him. And, uh, you know... Well, and then... This is where know, Lloyd oh has a gosh, moment, too. Does. And this is what's interesting, too. It's just, you know, going forward, there's no time for this to play out. Mm-mm. Like, there's no time for any of these things really to play out. But this is one of the things where you want to see it play out. Yes. You want to see, like, Lloyd finally realize that he's been doing the wrong thing. Yep. Um, and... Flag says, well done, Lloyd. I didn't do it for you. I, I did it for me. Right. Don't touch me. And yeah. he says, do you still have that key? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, it's coming soon. They're going to be using it. And I know who's all leaving. And he's like, I know Whitney and Ken and Jenny. Oh, yes, I know all of their names. I know mm-hmm. who's leaving. And he's like, I'm not going to put a stop to it because I'm so good. I'm just so nice. Uh, and, you know, it's just all about manipulating and keeping control of Lloyd in that moment. It is. Randy it is, is so scared of losing his right-hand man. Lloyd whispers, yeah, I guess I am. Yeah. He's his. Oof. All right. So now uh, we get this classic. And then this is the one piece of writing I did not like in this section, if I'm being honest. It's very classic, uh, uh, big bad supervillain uh, cutaway right when they're it's explaining a, their yeah, plan. You got me monologuing. You got me. Now we'll finish <laughs> things tomorrow with Underwood and Brenda. Now listen to me carefully, Lloyd. Mm-hmm. And, and then cut away, <laughs> fade to black. Um and then, you know, it doesn't tell you because it wants to explain to you exactly what's happening. And it's, you know, we even have uh, the boys, like the kids are seeing it all being set up. And it gets set up in a couple of nights. Right. Um, you get a little bit of racism, too, from old Stephen King, which sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, we'll just ignore that and talk about it right now. Um, I think the way that he explains it here is very vague and it gives you this sense of like there's these two cages and a pickup truck and there's some uh, handcuffs you know and right. you get the sense of what it's going to be used for but you don't get a full picture of it until the next day the next day when they bring them out there they bring out Larry and Glenn and they make them no, take Larry off their shirt or Ralph. not Glenn Ralph mm-hmm. um, they tell him that they had uh, he had heard the shooting and they're like is Glenn dead and they're like yeah he was trying much. to escape. Yeah, it's like, oh, he was trying to right. escape. Okay. Well, and I feel like it's just so bizarre that they had to use this, or that they felt the need to use this justification for why they shot him. Yep, we shot him. No, I mean, they... It's, you don't no, have to, yeah. You don't have, you don't have to, have justify, to justify it. it. You, we know that you're the bad guy. Yeah, we know that why he did it. And they pick him up, they make him take off their shirts, and we have this section where we realize that Ralph and Larry are almost, you can see their ribs. Like, even Ralph, right. the uh, bigger dude that picks up Nick so long ago, is now so skinny that you can see his ribs. Right. Uh, and there's this sense of pity from the crowd seeing mm-hmm. these two, like, malnourished, like, broken people that still have the strength to just be standing up there, like, shouting things at Randall Flagg. Yes. And it really makes all of them doubt their own worth. You can, I think, at least. Well, and and doubt their choice of being there. Who they should be starting with. Right. So he gets them up into the pickup trucks. They arrive at the MGM Grand. They put them both in the pickup trucks. There's two cages. They put them in the cages, and then on each side, they handcuff a handcuff to the right and left arms. Right. And then there's two cars on the the right and left side of them, and on Randall's cue, they're going to just start going and pull them apart. 
Um, you know, yeah, we used to see it back in the day with horses, and right. I'm sure that's where Randall got the idea. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so they get them out there, they get them into the cuffs, and uh, Randy comes out and he's like, all right, time to do my kingly thing and start to address the audience. And he starts to say things, and every time he does, Larry pops in and right. says something. Uh, Flag's not your name. Or no, that's Ralph. Flag's not your name. Why don't you tell him your real name? Right. So he is about to execute these two. And they're standing inside their cages, interrupting this man's speech. Right. Just to get in their little quips. Um, did you do that? Or do you want to keep going? Or did you need to stop? No, no. Oh, okay, my bad. Um, yeah, and he says, then they entered our state uh, with stealth and under cover of darkness. And Larry says, that's pretty good, since we were coming down Route 70 in broad daylight. They took us at noon on the interstate. How's that for stealth and under of darkness? Uh, right. And, you know, well, and then and then flags like know you that the cohorts of these men were these men were responsible for sabotage bombing of the helicopters at Indian Springs and therefore responsible for the death of those men. And, you know, the the crowd is like uh, or Stan Bailey, the operations chief at, at Indian Springs is like. That's that doesn't not how right. I remember that. And even Larry notices him like going, that's not that's true. Not Trash right. can man. Yeah. He sees can man. Um, and so we see pretty much Randy is trying to save Trash can man, or at least his reputation, or at least more of his own reputation and saying like, look, I didn't bring in a person that sabotaged us. He was already like, it was, he wasn't actually he, involved yeah. at all. Right. Like he was out there doing well, stuff. Or, you know, it was cohorts of this that, that they sent the trash can man to do that. That mm-hmm. that they sent him and that And uh he's pretty much says, and the sentence will be death by the appropriate manner to wit they shall be pulled apart. Uh and he says, Those of you with children are excused. Uh people start to like no one leaves. They're just kind of like, Ugh. and then Whitney Horgan runs out and he says, "Hey, you people, this ain't right. You know it isn't right." And uh, dead silence. No one says anything, and he keeps yelling. And essentially, Randall Flag points at him, and uh, he starts to float up at him. Is what I've uh, kind of. Well, I mean, he he says to Randall Flag says, "Come here." Whitney's like, "No," and then does it anyway. Yeah. He's, he's pulled forward by some inexplicable force. force. And yeah. in my head, I guess, yeah, I just like, because of that, I imagine he was floating. I mean, and I, he could be. It could be. Um, and he's up to him. You ain't no man at all. You're some kind of a devil. And he says, uh, Flag reaches out and says so softly that only Lloyd and Larry could hear him. Yes, that's right. I am. And he summons a little ping pong ball of fire, puts it in his, uh, underneath his chin. And then puts it inside of, uh, he, it's pretty much like a little ping pong ball. He puts it under his chin, closes his mouth and like fuses his mouth together Mm -hmm. with it and then shoves it in his eye and he burns up from the inside out. Yes. Um, afterwards the ball of fire, uh, flies up into the air and it almost starts to like, uh, it's getting real big and just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and in that it's to me. I think that that's Randall's anger and, uh, and instability. It's him yeah. losing control and him just trying to intimidate the crowd as much as possible. So he shakes his fireball as big as he can to make sure no one's going to dare say anything <laughs> else to boy him. Boy, does that backfire. It backfires real big because out of, in that same way, he's about to turn and kill them. And then the trash can man starts to come through he the crowd. Up. 
Uh, and we get the next lithograph, which is disgusting, and it's really good. But Trash Can Man, uh, as you could expect, has been within five feet of this atomic bomb for a couple of days. Right. And is so now very radiation sick. Radiation sick. sick. Gross. He's just um, basically disintegrating at yeah, this point. Yeah, he's literally falling apart. His eyelids were frayed flaps. His teeth were gone. His face was a cratered red soup from which one deserted faded blue eye peered with a terrible pitiful intelligence mm-hmm. and he's just i did it i brought you back the atomic bomb flag immediately is pale white and is scared right and the first person that pops up and is like lloyd right. and says trashy trash baby and you know it really makes you realize that whatever divination divination that randy has in that moment he's like ah no he's realized like i'm done for i'm done for this is it dang it uh and lloyd's still like treating it as though like this is a situation you can come out of right um you know trying to trying to be the the man who can step up and get things under control again Mm. um and then you know the best part about this is uh so he brings in the A-bomb, it comes right up down to the, like, pretty much right at the foot of where Randall Flagg is. Right. And because of this giant ball of uh, fire, electricity, um, it had started pretty much an electrical storm above them with the up current and the down current. And none of this is explained in the book. Mind you, this is all, like, my own headcanon explaining it away. Right, no, it, it makes absolute sense. And also, like I said earlier, I just don't... If it is just directly the hand of God, like they say... I'm disappointed in that. I don't want it to well, be. Well, I mean, that. and it says Larry dimly realized dimly that the air was now so full of electricity that every hair on his own body was standing on end, and the thing in the sky did look like a hand. And Ralph says, "Look, Larry, 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 the hand of God." And you know that's fine if it takes the shape of a god, and there's a cloud and all this stuff. And you know, if it is the hand of God in the miniseries, that's whatever. Well, and my and, biggest thing is it's just. It's more powerful if it's Randall taking himself down. Well, and just because Larry or Ralph sees it as the hand of God, it could be the hand of a, a God. Of a God. Mm-hmm. True. You know. There's different. It's, it's just, it's a matter of perspective. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, that's, yeah, good point, too. Especially, in, you know, if we're looking at. Uh, I mean, because these people have been treating Randall like he is a god. You know, if we're going to look at it even, too, like, Trash Can Man definitely should have died. Oh, yeah. He so absolutely should He have. is being protected by someone. And if it's right. not the Dark Man, I think that, you know, that theory of being god, like, makes sense, especially when he is bringing this atomic bomb in right. to destroy everyone. Uh, the lightning strikes, hits the atomic bomb, and destroys everyone. Right. Well, then it was gone. Larry saw flags closed, the jacket, the jeans, the boots, standing upright with nothing in them for a split second. They held the shape of the body that had been inside them, and then they collapsed. So Randall doesn't even get got by the atomic explosion. He doesn't even explosion. get got. He just, uh, he time just travels gone. away. Yeah. So that's yeah. fun. Uh, and they just destroy everything. And... I'm not upset about that at all. I liked that a lot, to be yeah. honest. I don't like that, you know, I mean, of course evil's just going to, like, put up a guard and, like, have everyone else take the fall and then run away. Well, sure. And I mean, that makes sense. Because that's, that's, you know, it absolutely gotta, makes sense. I will fear no evil. Um... We've 
we've got a lot of feedback hoping to hear about what we were going to be reading next. That way you, our dedicated listeners, can be reading along, reading ahead, and being prepared for what we have coming out. So, without further ado, the next book to be read after the stand is... The Gunslinger, also by Stephen King. Surprise, surprise. So if you haven't yet, go out there, pick up your favorite copy of The Gunslinger. Let's see... Why, why are you throwing guns when you could just shoot the bullets? These are the big questions, Steve. Let's find out. Hey, Constant Listeners. Otto here. I'm just popping in real quick to tell you that the rest of this episode is going to be filmed with all of our new equipment and material that we were able to get because of your generous and incredible support. So... You're going to notice a little bit of a sound quality, and we're still learning with some of these mics and new recording equipments that we have, but thank you. Thank you for letting us be able to do this, and thank you for helping us make it better every single time. So I feel the first thing we should definitely say and talk about is that the sound quality probably just improved about a thousand percent for you. Yes, it um, did. We've worked in a bunch of more uh, things. So we now have some sound filters and baffles. We have a new recording software. Uh, we're using two microphones. So things are looking up over some here. serious upgrades at first time through. Yeah. Um, and uh, of course we did it right in the middle of an episode as is our thing. <laughs> right? So why would we do it any yeah. other time? So uh, hopefully Aldo is smart enough to have edited in a commercial right before this and maybe a little explaining thing of like, hey, like what you're about to hear may sound different. But we'll see if he does that or not. <laughs> uh, we were just finishing up chapter 73 mm-hmm. and we're going to jump right into 74 now. Which is, uh, like we had said earlier, this is the the Tolkien esque uh, return. Yeah. Now you know the, we've. This is the going home. We defeated we Mordor. Return. Let's get back to our loved ones. Let's get back to Franny. This mm-hmm. is her point. Uh, and I mean honestly, you know, this is Franny's point. You know, to give Stu a good reason to like to, not to hang not out, not just dilly dally. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, so here at the start of chapter seventy four, Stu wakes up sick. Right. You know, and like real sick. And he's pretty sure he's going to die. You know. And it's just, uh, you know, he keeps feeling his neck because uh, he feels his lymph nodes starting to get uh, a little bit swollen. Right. And it's like, oh, he's just got the regular flu. Like this plain old garden variety flu. Um, and he's just sitting there musing about how... Uh, that's probably how he's going to die. And he asks Kojak to go find a rabbit, and he falls asleep, and then he wakes up to an earthquake, or at least what he thinks is an earthquake. Right. He climbs up to the top of the uh, washout, not the one that he'd fall down, fallen down. He climbs up on the east Eastern side, side right? yeah, and he uh, gets up to the top, and he notices and sees the mushroom cloud from the west, from mm-hmm. the direction of Las Vegas. Um, and it's... You know, during the part where he's climbing up, there's this part where Kojak just straight up carries him up the rest of the way. Yeah. And it's just, you know, Kojak ended up being so amazing and so loving and perfect 
just 10 out of 10 character, best character in the novel, hands <laughs> down. Kojak. Maybe Larry is as good as Kojak. <laughs> and Tom Cullen and Nick, maybe all three of those are almost as good as Kojak. <laughs> um, and he gets up to the top, and uh, like we had said earlier, you know, he, his last thought is how many megatons. And it's just right. something, like, he starts thinking of the fallout and the reach and all of these things. And So, you know, being the resourceful person that he is, he takes his key ring that he's been carrying for all these months out of his pocket and it has a, a lucite keychain so that he can put something inside it and he writes Franny a note and puts it on Kojak's collar I mean first of all who's still carrying their car keys in their pocket of the clothes that they're wearing four months five months after They've been taken away. Yeah, no, that's a I good mean, point. I didn't even think of that. Come on, man. <laughs> but then also... I don't even like to carry my car keys 20 minutes after I... Yeah, no, he know. definitely just has had them in his pockets then, I guess, the entire apocalypse and never thought about it. And then he also just didn't think to leave them behind, specifically, when he was told to leave everything behind when he right. left. Uh, that's... Yeah. I didn't even, like, really connect that. That's so good. Uh, and it's... You know, we were really getting this sense that, like... It's Stephen King's really setting you up to like be really de- for Stu looks so desperate. But mm-hmm. if you're paying attention while you're reading, you know Tom Cullen's coming this way. Exactly. So at the back and of your head, he's you being guided directly towards him by Nick, um, who said he had to go towards God's middle finger. And then we have this thing here that they're talking about that looks like God sticking his middle finger directly up at <laughs> anger. So we know that like their paths are crossing somewhat. Right. Um. So, uh, we get into the next section and it gets, you know, we get a little spooked because, uh, this is where Stu starts to have hallucinations Mm -hmm. and he even says something about hap, hap, make sure you turn off your pumps, you know, 1100 pages ago. Exactly. So it's, and after seeing so many people go into this delirium stage and die, it's just, it feels, it's so disheartening and you're like, Mm -hmm. no, Stu, you can't die after all of that. you can't have lived through all of this and then die from the regular the old flu. Like, what a way to, like, kill off your uh, your Frodo. Like, yeah. brilliant. <laughs> Good job. Uh, and then right as he thinks to himself, yes, I'm dying, um, a certain somebody pedals up on his bicycle and Kojak uh, is originally angry but then immediately Kojak's uh, body language just turns from angry to happy mm-hmm. and that's the thing that like Stu's like wait what no it's Kojak it's a trick mm-hmm. right and uh, it's because not because he's hallucinating yeah so he's he just so realize that it really is not a trick it really is his good friend Tom, Tom Cullen by Lawless my <laughs> uh, Lawless yes M-O-O-N that smells Tom Cullen um and Tom, you know, we've, we went through it pretty quickly earlier. And, you know, there's a lot of really great stuff that happens, but it's all just a good story from here. You yeah, know? it really like is. Like the story yeah. of them going back to get up to meet, reconnect with Franny. Like, it's just a good story. There's not a lot of, like, stuff to, like, get really, like, mm-hmm. analytical about or anything. It's just, it's the sigh of relief after the long after the saga long, that we've been yes, reading. it really is. And, you know... And you need it. Yes, you do. You can't do if if this book would have just ended and then uh, righteous and unrighteous, uh, righteous and unrighteous alike were consumed in that holy light, then 
we would just sit there feeling so unresolved and so upset about and so let down. Yeah, I cannot believe I spent all this time. No conclusion. This like, yeah. where were we? What was the? What were we even working towards? Right. Whereas what was now, the point of all of this. What well, the point is for Stu to get his life with Franny. Well, and not just Stu with Franny, but to be able to. If you spend everybody. the last 40 pages of your book telling me only, not 40 pages, the last like 10 pages of your book telling me about only two characters, yeah. I'm going to conclude that the entire point of the novel was for those two characters to do those things. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And so true. for me, it is Adam and Eve to go back to the Arden of Eve in, in the middle of Arkansas mm -hmm. while everyone else accidentally kills themselves with more nuclear airheads. And they're going to have their little baby and they're going to continue to just populate the earth. Right. That, well, that was the illusion I had Maine. gotten. They're well, go they're going Maine. towards Maine. Yeah. But, you know, as but a very gonna... popular religion believes, there is a Garden of Eden in Missouri. So uh, yeah, that's true. if they go through Missouri, they could reach the real Garden of Eden. Oh, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. they went to Mother Abigail's house. Like, they're just on a spiritual journey themselves now. Um, is there tap dancing there? There could be, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll work it in somewhere. <laughs> All right. Um, so, but back to this story. Okay. Yeah. Focus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Stu sees him, passes out, and Tom's like, "Oh my god!" Like, ah, and he starts to like freak out. Uh, but then, it, like, it cuts to the next scene, and then it's Tom, Stu waking up, and just them kind of like and and reconnecting. Tom, yeah, and and connecting with Tom, and being able to, you know. We've talked about this a lot. Tom is brighter than he has been given credit for. Well, and not only that, now he is actively being smarter on the outside, too. Yes. Because there's so, a couple of times now where he's spelled things correctly and yes. not just spelled moon. Right. You know, so between them, they figure it out. They they build a, a travoy, and, and Tom drags Stu a long way. For like eight hours or some craziness yep. um, until they can find a car that has all of the criteria that, you know, is facing the right, facing downhill. Has a clutch has and a, is a manual. A manual transmission. The battery isn't dead. The battery isn't the dead. Key the key is, is in, in the car. Right. And it has some gas. They're looking for a, one vehicle in the desert to do this with. Right. Right. <laughs> so... Like we said, you're gonna. We we see a lot of the ways that they are particularly shined on. Yes, through absolutely. This, this absolutely. the giant snowmobile, the not actually drowning in the snow. Right. The generators and the hotels. Um, I said this off uh, recording, but I was really, I don't know if I did actually, I was really expecting them to like bring in the overlook at some point, like yeah, for them to like go through yeah. like, uh, yeah, because they're in Colorado. They're in that part of like. Right the world. Part of the country. I would have really expected Steve to tie that in, but he probably hadn't even. I don't think he'd written The Shining yet, had he? The Shining was like an eighty-five. Or no, no, no. The Shining was well before that. Um, one, two, three. Uh, oh, I got it at the front of this, don't I? Oh, The, the Shining, the Shining was, his was right third before one. This, yeah. Yeah. So The Shining was right before this. Right. So I wonder. Yeah, I wonder why he didn't do why, and it's not even in the edit either. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe that just is because, you know, I know that that one and Doctor Sleep are in their own specific worlds, but even those two are mentioned, or that one is mentioned in Misery. It is. But the, Misery has no connection to this. Maybe there's almost like those are alternate universes. Well, and and in the Stephen King universe, and I know we've talked about this a little bit. There are places, there are thin spots where things touch, and I think that. 
the stand has some points where it will touch other things, but the shining is not one of them. Yeah, definitely. And especially because the shining seems to be so individualized on its own. Yeah, it really is. They end up uh, getting, they don't get to a car. Do they get to a car? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they get to a car. They get Stu into the wheel uh, behind the, pretty much Tom like carries Stu and puts him behind the wheel, pushes the car a little bit. And, you know, I think it's the second one that they try. Yes. And then, and Tom has to jump in and work the the gas pedal because Because Stu's Stu's leg is broken. Um, yeah, so Stu's trying to work the clutch and pop the clutch. And, and also explain. Yeah. A manual transmission. It's not easy. easy. Especially I mean, if you haven't difficult. done it in a while. Right. And it's an older car like older that car that's just been sitting just for been months. sitting for months. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's an especially hard thing to do, but it's not an easy thing to do either. When you've only got one leg and you've got all of these things mm-hmm. working against you, the fact that they were actually able to succeed in that is pretty... Pretty much a miracle. I mean, all all of the things at this point are kind of miraculous because it was just all the right things in all the right places, and so. And they end up driving that. Well, I was also just thinking too, like the tires didn't have dry rot or anything. Like, right. like and that's they another part of their routine. There's yeah. just so much stuff that like just happens to work out. They end up getting in this car. They drive off to um, a hotel. And that's where pretty much Stu collapses. Collapses. Right. Like because the sickness is totally taking him over. He is very much down with the flu. Down with the sickness, as Disturbed would say. <laughs> yeah. And we get into chapter 75, and it, the first thing, and it threw me real hard, because the first thing is, uh, I almost died, you know, said Nick. And I was like, wait a second, you did die. Uh, right. But then it's, you know, he and Tom were walking up the empty sidewalk together, and you realize, oh, okay, they're they're walking along and nick just talked so you're like oh, okay yeah, yeah. well now because he can talk to tom he's gonna tell him a little bit of backstory here. and i think like one of the things that like is most important to me about this chapter is that it sets it up so that way in my head nick's always with tom collin now mm-hmm. and because of that like that's why he's that like nth degree of um, seems to be a little bit brighter right. is because now he has nick helping him guide his thoughts a little bit more at all times and i agree just the fact that i want another book of tom collin well, i want and, and a book of tom collin with his spiritual uh guide nick just helping him do things <laughs> okay that's our request for a sequel to the stand. steve <laughs> hello I, you don't, I mean it'd be cool if they went and met franny and Stu on the east coast at one point said it like 15 years in the future so that way right. their son is like 16 franny's like 35 Stu's in his 50s right right you know tom's in his like kids. 30s or like <laughs> yeah they've got like 12 <laughs> kids out there because they need it to help them run their farm and everything right they probably got like two or three random people that have like just joined up because mm-hmm. i think that's the other thing too that is so interesting about this world is there's so much more that you could do with this world because like what happened in Europe and Asia like you make such a big deal about like the virus going to Russia and China Mm -hmm. but then are you telling me that the only people that God selected in the entire world happened to be in America or is it just because that's where the dark man was and that's where his forces were needed I think this is something that that Steve has addressed when he has spoken at times in the past he writes about 
America because that's where he that's what he knows. Yeah. You know, it all comes in to, to what you know. Um, I feel like it'd know. be weird if he started writing about Malaysia. Yeah. It'd be like, yeah, Steve, be really you've weird, been there for two weeks. Like, you can't tell us what the culture of Malaysia is. <laughs> exactly. You know, but say somebody in, I don't know, Germany wanted to write some fan fiction that was, you know, stand adjacent. I would I would read that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, about what was going on in Europe and how, you know, the malevolent... Uh, forces were... I feel like you could do it so vaguely, too. And it doesn't have to be like Captain Trips. You'd just be like, some random disease just decimated 99% of the world. And we just heard uh, someone over the radio said there was an atomic bomb in Los Angeles or in Las Vegas. Vegas. Like, you know, and that's like, you just have like one page of exposition that makes it so obvious it's following the stand. And then you just tell your story in that world. Right. So, I would read I that, know. too. Send us that. your fan fictions of The Stand, please. I want to read them. <laughs> All of them. Yeah, if you have any good ones. Um, 75, like we were saying, though, Nick is now talking to Tom. And Nick guides him down to the pharmacy, and he pulls out three bottles of medicine, and there's, he sits him on the counter, and he says, you need to have Stu take this one. If this one, he has a rash or a reaction, he takes this one. If the rash or reaction, he takes this one. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, okay. He's like, I, I don't know what to do. He's like, I, I'm going to have to do this all alone. And he's like, you can do this. Like, yeah, Tom, you, you can do this. this. You've got this. And, uh, Nick, you know, your mom took care of you and you just need to do what your mom did. You know, give him something to drink. Mm-hmm. Get him, him some up, juice and some, some vitamin juice, C. Some vitamins. Get him up and walk him around so that because he's got I mean, Nick tells him he's got pneumonia. You right. Know, so that's bad. <laughs> it's real bad. You know, when you've been outside and all that and he's he's. It's not doing not, the not best. Good. Yeah. It's not good. Um, and he says, uh, you know, it's interesting. There's this part where he says, you know, he's going to have to drink a lot of juice, uh, but there doesn't seem to be any juice around. And then Tom Cullen finds all of this juice. Mm-hmm. So, and then simultaneously at the end of this section, Nick leaves those pill bottles on the counter. Mm-hmm. So it kind of leads you to believe either one, there is a supernatural connection now with Nick and Nick did put those pill bottles on the counter or two, it is a hypnotic state that Tom is in and he didn't see the juice. So he didn't know that there was juice in there. So he's having Nick say that and he put the pill bottles up there himself and he's remembering all of these things because Mm -hmm. I mean, he would have just learned these things naturally probably. Um, I prefer to pick the supernatural route. I think, well, I think that's the nice thing about all of this book is you can, well, I think like that's one of my favorite things about it is like, if you really wanted to, you could explain everything away with science. Uh, That's, that's true. Like you could take it and like take all of the God stuff out of it and just take it all, make it all circumstantial that mother Abigail just happened to be right all those times. Right. But I mean, but really circumstantial evidence doesn't usually like hold up anywhere. So we can usually, we can count on God. Well, and I'm wondering also, this is just a, a thought I had about this Tom and Nick situation is, you know, Tom isn't as dim as he has been portrayed. Right. Is he using these projections of Nick in his head to help him make those connections? Is he, is Tom, is Nick completely in Tom's head and he knows that Nick is smart, so he's using his connections his brain is making Nick make those connections. He manifests Nick he, for he himself so that way he can make those right, connections. Right, no, yeah. it's brilliant. I love the way that like that could be. I think that's like Tom Cullen is really interesting to dissect that way is like how he's changed throughout this novel, especially yeah. how much he's grown and learned. Um, but at the core, he's never changed. He just wanted to help 
yeah. play with his little. He just wants to go home to his house and his decorations. With his decorations. Yeah. And, and so see his friends. Um, Tom goes back. He starts giving Stu the pills. Nick had also told him he needed to start walking Stu. So he starts walking Stu around the lobby. He lifts him up and he just says, "I know it sucks, but you got to do it." And Stu's delirious and having all of these like, you know. Uh, hallucinations, hallucinations of yeah. people coming to get him almost and then one day he just wakes up and he says i didn't die and tom's like oh my god yes laws yes you're alive and uh you, <laughs> and then and then he was like i am hungry <laughs> <laughs> i'm <laughs> um you're gonna need to get me some food please now. get me soup maybe <laughs> some noodles um and Stu wakes up and then we get a real uh it's very casual this next couple of days because even right. Stu is like, I don't want to rush my recovery. I want to make sure that, you know, we're in the apocalypse. If something does go wrong, I need to make sure that, like, at least I'm as healthy as possible. Right. Um, well, and they've got what they need here. Right. They're inside. They've got a fireplace. They've got food. Everything's accessible. They've got everything they need here. So there's no reason to rush away from here in October because, I mean, it specifically says it's October 20th. And, and they're in the mountains. They're in the low mountains still but they've got to go through the high country to get back to to boulder yep um and they decide that uh they're going to start going a little bit further east so that way they don't have to spend the whole winter in the utah hotel Mm -hmm. that they're in so they leave on halloween and they end up in grand junction colorado Colorado. where they find a holiday inn um and this is where uh he starts having these dreams of franny Yes. No. And this is also where he, they set up the projector. Projector. Yeah. And I love that. It's just it's such so, a beautiful moment. So sweet and so thoughtful and just it's such a simple thing. But you know the the love the, the way that like he hands him the popcorn. Just, and he's like, what do I need this popcorn for? And he's like, well, you can't watch movie without a popcorn. And Tom Collins just like movie. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a really really wonderful scene, and then they watch like I said earlier they watch Oliver and Company, ten out of ten movie. I love it so much, and I mean, it's just really great. Uh, and he is sitting there this whole time thinking, you know, I'm healing faster than I should be. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling a lot better, and he doesn't want to be here anymore. He hears yeah. a wolf howl. Uh, Kojak is there raising his head and you know he kind of just gets the sense that it's time to move on yeah um, so the next day he looks over at uh, uh, Tom and he says what do you think about getting no not the next day it's a couple of days later right uh, and he says how badly do you want to get back to Boulder and he says really badly and he says well then let's leave and they leave Grand Junction on the last day of November right and Grand Junction is a pretty good sized town and so that's where you know they find a highway department snowmobile that is designed for more than one person and it's designed to be able to you know get things and and emergency things to people who are out in the middle of nowhere and up in the mountains so it's a it's a monster Mm -hmm. you know so it's it's exactly what they need yeah wildly enough and it even has space for kojak to ride with them it has space for kojak for for two people a dog and all of their supplies supplies through the winter traveling through the mountains um and what is it? The next, they take like two days, I think, right? To go through and get all of that stuff. And it's a really, from that point on, it's a very, it's not too s- tough of a journey 
um they get to these parts where the wolves uh scare them a little bit mm-hmm. um they there's this really interesting part where snoo is like beating through the snow after they've stopped at one point and he comes to something uh, a blue metal in the ground and he mm-hmm. realizes that they're on top of the cars on top of the cars yeah um and he decides he's not going to tell tom colin that just because he doesn't want to spook him or like anything right. but i feel like that is a very that's a scary post-apocalyptic thought is just to like be that on top of the cars like that's right. how much snow has fallen and how like little movement there's been and how like nothing has been disturbed so much that it's been able to just keep collecting and keep growing there right that you can di- you have to dig to get to the top of the car it's not right. like you're just you you see the the tops of the cars occasionally you have to dig down to that yeah and the next day they start to hear little earthquakes mm-hmm. and Stu knows exactly what it is he knows that it's avalanches right. and he's scared of it but Tom doesn't understand what it is, and he doesn't want to tell Tom, and he thinks, I'll worry enough for the two of us. Right. And, you know, and, and bless him for worrying, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's scary. Um, and but that's what we do with our kids. No, and especially, I mean, like, I mean, Stu I, is, like, the most Stu paternal is, person that, really like, in is. this story. Like, the moment that Franny said that she had a baby, like, it, there was no question about it. Like, that was his kid he was taking care of. Absolutely. And so, I mean, the fact that... Tom Cullen came and saved his life. Like, of course he's gonna like do everything, everything he can, he can for this Tom. guy. Right. Um, so we get into the next day. It's uh, December or no? They go and it's just pretty regular and normal um, until December twenty second. Mm-hmm. And on December twenty second, they're driving along the highway when they go over the hill, the side of the highway. Right. Because, because remember, they're raised up five or six feet, so there's no guardrails, and they don't know where the roads are ending or where the curves are or anything. So they just go off the side, nose drop down like fifteen feet into a giant bank of snow. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that Steve explains the snow burn and, like, his throat being icy and on fire at the same time uh, is really interesting and really well done. It gives you, like, that sense of just confusion immediately as he's thrown into the white snow. Um, and he pops up and he's shouting for Tom. Kojak pops up and he says, Kojak, go find Tom. And Kojak starts swimming around in all of this snow and uh, mm-hmm. jumps down and uh, he finds Tom and then his glove pops up and then Stu grabs his glove and pulls him all the way up. Right. Um, and they end up uh, pretty much having to walk because they lost all yeah, of their supplies and their, their snowmobile. Yeah. Um, and they're and they lucky, do. though. But they, they're not that far from a town. Exactly. You know, so they get to Avon, Colorado. and um, It's a much smaller town, but they're there. They've got the stuff. You know, it's Colorado and so they've got snowmobiles everywhere. Everybody's got them. It's it's a big oh, yeah. thing. Um, Especially up in the mountains that far. Right. Like, right. you've got to be used to it. You um, know. Then you're prepared for it. And I'm sure, like, it's partially why you'd want to live there. Right. Where we live, you know, er, not everybody. A lot of people have, like, four-wheelers and things like that. And it's the same Dirt kind bikes. of thing. Dirt bikes. Yeah. And it's the same kind of thing in Colorado. Snowmobiling is a big deal. So, you know, there's a snowmobile in a lot of garages. Um, um, so they end up going down to Avon, and while it is a lot smaller, they're able to pretty much re-outfit themselves. Right. They get a smaller snowmobile. Um, there's this really fun moment where Stu has to explain weed to uh, yeah. Tom <laughs> Cullen, and he's just like, he finds a giant garbage bag of Rocky Mountain High, and Tom Cullen's like, is this tobacco? And he's like, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's fun. Um, and uh, through all of this, too, uh, I think we haven't really touched on them all that much, but uh, and they're not like really influential it's just like to show you how 
much anxiety Stu has about getting home is he's just having these constant baby dreams about right, Franny about dying, baby, about dying. the baby dying, right. about complications and then both dying. So yeah. there's never been a moment where this man hasn't been worried about her now. Um, and I think that before going out there, he wasn't worried at all because he was on his holy mission. But when the mushroom cloud showed up, I think he realized, oh, well, that was what I was waiting on. We did it. So right. I'm going to go home now. Exactly. Um, and now that entire focus that he's had on taking down Randall is now directly on Franny. It's, yeah, it's directly on getting home and, and being there and taking care of her and, you know, the baby. You know, but so they're in Avon, Colorado, and Stu realizes that it's Christmas Eve. Um, so in typical Stu, I'm going to be everybody's dad fashion, he goes shopping and gets Tom Christmas presents so that he can wake up on Christmas morning and have something. And it's just so sweet and so thoughtful. Well, and it's not only that. Like, he had went and got Christmas decorations, and he yeah. made sure that they slept next to a tree. And then he decorated the tree overnight and put the presents underneath yeah, it. Yeah, because... Oh, my gosh. Just kind of... Like, I started crying. <laughs> I, like, and this is, like... There's just... From this moment on for me, there was just, like, tears down my face for mm -hmm. most of it. Uh, yeah, when I, when I reread the end of this last week, because I... I kind of reread before we start recording um i uh i was wandering around the house getting my things together crying and my husband was like w w what are you doing and i'm like i just finished the book again <laughs> it's so, yeah you know and i've read this a bunch of times i mean i've read it twice this year and it's it's just it gets me every time and they sing their christmas song mm -hmm. and they just sing it out into the mountain oh, very good moment yeah um then we get this fun moment too where we realize that tom is still going to be like a prophet essentially he gets hypnotized and he's able to kind of tell Stu that uh like he can see boulder um and like that there everyone's waiting and everything and uh you know i feel like it's not really about telling us that uh, Tom is still in connection with, like, a supernatural being. I think it's more about giving Stu even more anxiety about his baby right. because it has this section. And, but Franny will have her baby first, except Tom except what? The baby. What about the baby? And then Tom wakes up, and he's just like, oh, man, we were shooting wolves, weren't we? Did I fall asleep? And mm -hmm. then Stu just gets to enjoy that uh, that incredible amount of anxiety. Right. Um the next page we have this really incredible lithograph um and you know the next two or three pages is just them maddeningly close to boulder seeing the right. signs that says boulder 70 miles away right. boulder whatever miles away and just them seeing it every single time and just getting so much closer and then finally they're going through this big snowbank, and then all of a sudden on the other side the snow is plowed yes and the road is clear and uh they uh, jump off, and they're so excited, and they decide to just camp the night there because it's still a couple of miles out. Right. And they are. It's in Golden, Colorado, so which is where they were. The next they, night. Yeah, it's like the next town mm -hmm. over. That's where they slept the first night when the four of them mm -hmm. left. Is they made it to Golden. Um, they wake up the next day and they're walking in towards town, just thinking about how like how close they are and everything when they get shouted well, at. And they they're walking because they ran out of gas. Yeah, they got so excited that they were so close that they forgot like a basic essential. They forgot to get more gas. They just the wanted to keep it, like good times going. Yeah, so you know, 
<laughs> some excitement caused some poor planning. So now they're walking. And, you know, remember Stu's still Got healing a from a broken leg. leg. I mean, and I don't know if you've ever had any broken bones, but let me tell you, they ache when it's cold. <laughs> and his is not, it didn't heal properly. There's no way it did because it wasn't set properly. So, yeah, this has got to be really painful, but so exciting at the same time. Yeah, just <laughs> like the adrenaline of finally getting home after everything is probably really starting to kick in. Um, they're going home. It's around uh, 6 p.m. or at 4 p.m. It starts to snow again. Mm -hmm. 6 p.m. They finally get to uh, um, close to Boulder. They can see the outline of it at eight they're walking in and somebody shouts out who yeah. goes there well and and we're in boulder again tommy murmured softly we really are c-i-t-y-l-i-m-i-t-s that spells boulders law yes it's, it's so close <laughs> so close but so it's sweet. also like he's reading now and he couldn't read before right so he he and it makes me think that he probably wanted to learn to read to talk to nick mm -hmm. which is really nice um then we find out uh Okay, so they get back. Billy, the kid that had caused all that trouble earlier, that had driven the... Uh, racing the car up and down the main drag. He's the sentry now. Um, and, you know, Stu muses about how uh, there's sentries now, that they've got sentries posted right. to protect them and everything. Um, right. Well, because they don't know. They don't know that it's over. They don't know that it's over. But at the same time, too, it's... Uh, they've started to co-op some of the things the Darkman would do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, there isn't a, a, that sense of safety anymore. You know, it's like we have to make sure that, like, we're protecting our own. And we have to make sure that, like, mm -hmm. that is happening now. And that wasn't a sense that they had before they left. Right. Uh, and, you know, I think that that's the, the saddest part about this novel is how the free zone is just doomed right at the beginning to me. Like, yeah. as soon as, like, all of the main council members are gone, like, they're done for. Yeah, they... they they lose sight of the peaceful society that because because glenn was kind of keeping them on track for that because he knew i would say 50 50 i think glenn was a lot more power hungry than he let on but i also but he was also not violently power hungry yeah no he just wanted to be content and, hung and powerful right he wanted to make sure his life wasn't hard anymore exactly <laughs> which i mean i really relate with <laughs> right um so he gets home, and the first thing to ask Billy is, well, what happened to Franny? Uh, and he says, Franny's fine, but the baby, uh, they had to do that Roman thing. And he's like, a cesarean section. And <laughs> right. he's like, yeah. So they, uh, she says, the baby's fine. It came out the wrong way. But then it caught the, the flu, the Captain Tripp's flu. Mm -hmm. And Stu just kind of, like, you know, he just falls apart a little bit. Um, and he starts just like, oh, we got to go. Uh, and he says, where are you going? This is the hospital to see my woman. What I mean? Right. Yeah, of course. Like, you're going to go to the hospital. Like, it sounds like your baby just died. Right. Like, Franny's definitely not going to be doing great. Chapter 76 is a page and a half long. And it's literally Franny having what she thinks is a hallucination of uh, uh, Stu. And then turns out to be Stu. And it's really right. sweet. And, and like, really sweet. the reunion is really great. And it's really wonderful. I just wish Franny wasn't the most basic like a woman in existence. I mean, like I was just, I wish that she had more of a character, or at least she, her character would have been followed through more. She really feels like she was a dropped storyline almost. I, yeah, I, I can see that. And I think that like I feel that, like there should have could have been a lot more with her, but you know, she does have the 
the baby. Have the baby, and you know that's kind of the. That's what the, we're no. That is her hope. most important thing in the first chapter when we meet her. The most important thing about Franny is that she's pregnant. So mm-hmm. if, if if there's one storyline that at least continues through, it's that her baby ends up being the most important thing about her at the end as well. Right. Um. We end to chapter seventy-seven. Stu and Franny are catching up with uh, the doctor. We meet that they've got another doctor as well now in mm-hmm. the free zone, which is cool. So you know. Well, the world's going to keep growing at the free zone. They're going to keep trying to get... They're going to keep going towards these amenities that they're right. used to. Uh, and uh, they find out that uh, Franny's son, and they named him Peter after <laughs> Franny's dad, he had caught Captain Trips as he was born. But because he was had half of the antibodies in him, they uh, he's able to beat it. Yeah. So essentially we find out that if you are a child and your parents and, are and your mom one of immune, them is immune and dad was not um, you've got about a 50/50 chance, chance. Uh, and you have to you still go through captain trips when you're born and you have to fight it off. Right. So a couple of the babies do end up passing away out of this like six or seven that they have, mm-hmm. but all of the babies that are born to um, parents that are immune, immune. Uh, are fine. Right. So we know that the immunity gets passed on. Um and they get to go see uh, Peter, and they go and look at him, and she's just crying about how there's the empty babies. I just, after everything else, I was just like, okay. I was just reading through this section. Mm-hmm. It meant so much less to me than Tom and like, <laughs> right. And I think it's just so, because, like, what does Franny, like, dawn for Stu that, like, makes it, like, this she big of a... She gave him a reason to go on. But Tom Cullen just... pulled your butt out and saved your life. But, you know, they'd still be in Grand Junction, Colorado if... He didn't have Franny? He didn't have Franny to try to get back for. Man, I don't even think he would have ended <laughs> up in the free zone if he didn't have Franny. I mean, that's... That's a possibility. Ugh. I don't know. Regardless, though, Franny's fine, I, I guess. <laughs> I know. Um, Stu's just 10 out of 10, so it's just right. like, I just want the best for Stu. Um, chapter 78 is kind of a catch-up on what's been happening in the free zone. You know, Fran gives it to us through Stu, and we start to hear about all of this stuff. The biggest thing that we really hear about um, that Stu doesn't like either is that the new guy that take, took over for him as the marshal, his name is Hugh per- Petrella. And he campaigned for the job. Mm-hmm. So he went around and he was asking people to vote for him. Um, and he started asking, trying to uh, arm everybody, too. Yeah. So it's, to still like, scary. And it's right. like... And it's just falling back into the old ways. Yeah. And that's just not... It's not what... You know, Stu's learned a lot through the course of this, and he doesn't want to go back to that. Yeah. Um, and Franny is actually the first one that says, you know, I've been thinking about Maine mm-hmm. and how I want to go back. Uh, and they decide that they're gonna head back to maine together right. but they have to wait until lucy has larry's baby lucy has larry's baby yeah yeah just because they want to make sure it's you know okay right um yeah poor lucy yeah that does suck i just also like if Stu would have ended up over there one, I think I don't even think he would have made it to the atomic bomb. I think he would have been like killed pretty quickly just because of how like angry he was at Randall Flagg. He probably wouldn't have been able to like put on the performance like Larry did. Right. No, he'd have been he'd have been like Glenn. Right. Exactly. And I think that that's why Larry was the one that had to do that. He was the one that had to be there to egg on Randall Flagg enough, and Ralph had to be there because he was the religious one. He was the zealot. He was mm-hmm. the like one that always believed the most. Right. 
Um, uh, so by April 15th, so basically eight months after they arrived in the free zone, there's 19,000 people. That's a lot of people in that have accumulated over the winter. Um, yeah, I just, the free zone, you know, honestly, there gets to be a point, I think even, like, I read this article about Stephen King saying it himself, where, like, he almost didn't finish this book because he didn't like how the free zone was going to end up. Yep. And so at that, like, even for me, like, when he gets back, I don't care about the free zone anymore, because it's just blatantly obvious that they're just going to be stupid. Right. Like, they're going to make the wrong choices. They're going to to have people that just want to be in charge, and they want money, and they want power. Right. And so, for me, I kind of just wrote it off a little bit. And, like, you know, for me, I I read that fact. Didn't put much stock in it because I didn't care anymore. You know, when the free zone was, like, an important aspect of, like, continuing society and, like, figuring out the way to, like, rebuild it in a positive manner, like, great. But Mm -hmm. people suck. (laughs) <laughs> and like general, that's the, the like solid a, truth a of this person book can be great people as a society, in general awful they're pretty awful terrible yeah. like as soon as you get a group of people together it seems like the worst always start coming out in everyone mm-hmm. um lucy had twins oh okay yeah maybe yep, yep, yep. they do okay mm-hmm. um uh don't know. yeah and the end of the book is them heading towards maine uh, right. Stu and Franny and Peter in an RV in an RV and they end up stopping at Mother Abigail's place and they have all of the stuff at Mother Abigail's place like you know right. because she was old and she had my hand pump and she had all the things she, she didn't really need things. to yeah, they didn't really need a whole lot um, you know and and it's just it's kind of a picture of pretty much a normal situation you know the baby playing in the dirt and them you know just moving on and and trying to recapture a pretty normal life um and i think that it's interesting how Stu at the end of it muses about the cycle of the life that they have too you know that mother earth is in a season of rest and he says a season she or franny says a season of rest what does that mean and she, he says everything. Uh, and it's just the way when you put it as though it's a season, um, it's cyclical. You know, it keeps going and like, it's going to evolve and change and become something different. Right. Um, and I think that that's something that Stu's realized about all of this as well, is that, uh, you know, yeah, we're going to rest and hopefully we can, you know, buy some time so that way it doesn't happen in Peter's lifetime, but this is going to happen again. Right. And all he can do is please please learn from this lesson let this empty world be a copy book don't do what we did right right and and Stu asked her he says do you think do you think people ever learn anything and her answer was i don't know and that's it i mean i don't know can people learn from their mistakes i think a person can learn from their mistakes but people as a collective as a no whole, i don't think so. not likely um, oh, and we also find out yeah, that yeah, Franny's so you, pregnant again. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, they're definitely going to have, like, 14 kids. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. no doubt in my mind. Tons of kids. Um, they're just going to have, like, their own little farm, like, mm-hmm, for absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Uh, and we think that that's the end, but then actually there's two pages of 
what happens to Randolph. Right. And essentially, he awoke at dawn, in which mm-hmm. is like for me now that I've reread this section a couple of times to like really understand it. He awoke at the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is at the very beginning of mankind. Well, he at wakes the very up. Beginning of evil. New mankind. New mankind. I think yeah. that he went back in time. Yeah, I think that it's the. I think that this is where he ends up after he doesn't quite get blown up, but almost. He's got to start over. I think it's just a rebirth. You think this is 2021 or, tw- or 1990, like they're saying? Well, or, yeah, or something, you know, sometime after that. I think it is sometime after that. Maybe. I really think that it's him going backwards in time, back to the beginning of when he first existed and first ended up on Earth. And it's him having to pretty much, now that he was, his cycle was ended, he has to go back to the yes. beginning and start it over when this would have been but also he does have a lot of the knowledge that he had the first mm-hmm. time too so it's interesting it's hard to like really I, and I think that it's supposed to be ambiguous like that no yeah and I, I really think, think that, that, that like, is intentional that it's supposed to make you wonder if this is back to his beginning beginning or, or if this, this is, is like a, a new beginning a tribe that wasn't discovered right that just you know because they were undiscovered and had no contact the flu never like, got there right that kind of stuff, too. But then, I mean, immediately, Randall's just going to make him all sick with the flu because he still has the germs on him. Like, <laughs> germs don't go away germs if you're a demon. I mean... You know, I, I think, at least, that's how germs work. I don't yeah, think they go sure. away if you're a demon. Um, And then that's the end of the novel. That's the end of The Stand. That's the end of our two months on The Yay, Stand. two months. Uh, okay, we... Before we get too deep into just chatting, and I have to cut a lot of it, let's rate it and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have our scale. Oh no, where did my pen go? There it is. Which was writing, plot, and it factor. Mm-hmm. So writing being like just how overall. something is written. Right. Um, your plot being the overall story and characters, and then. Uh, the it factor, uh, emphasis on it because it's mm-hmm. Stephen King, <laughs> just uh, that indescribable feeling of why you would want to reread it, why it's worth telling your friends to read it. Well, I'm thinking that you're <laughs> going to have to give it a high it factor number because the very first thing that you said to me when you finished it was, when I reread this, <laughs> uh, so you better give it a high number there because that was the first thing you told me you were going to do. Okay, we'll <laughs> see, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Do you want to take a second and think about your answers? Um, actually, I think I'm going to give the writing a nine on this one. Writing a nine. Why? Um, because I think it's a well-written story. I think there are some things that could have been edited out. We've talked about that quite a bit. Um, but I think that overall it's a really well-written story and it stands the test of time. There are things that date it. but Stands me- the test of time. Stands the test of time, yeah. Um, there are some things in there that date it, but not to the point that it makes it unreadable. Um, and not to the point that it makes you feel so disconnected from it that you can't relate at all. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's it's pretty timeless in that way. Okay. Okay. Um, do you want me to do my writing now? Mm-hmm. Okay. I would give it an eight uh, for almost the exact same reasons, um, except for me, I think it's kind of an older writing style. Uh, so I, it's... I think that modern books are written a lot quicker paced and they're just a lot less filler. Um, and I think that that's just something that has evolved in writing. Um, mostly because also all of our books nowadays are, you know, they're neutered and published in seven parts. 
Right. But well, and I, and I think that if this book came out now, it would be like uh, it would definitely be at least three books. Probably, yeah. Um, and I think that people don't have the same kind of a attention span attention span yeah people in general don't have this the attention span to even listen to a 38 yeah. hour audio so book. the writing for me was a little dated in that way um i do think there's so much of it that needed to be edited out mm -hmm. like if i was a publisher like i would have also been like yeah like let's take some of this out like you were just really in, on some coke and really enjoying this <laughs> section weren't you right um but i think that overall the writing is really really solid and it's you know it's very well explored in those thoughts and the things that he does portray he portrays really well yeah. um and especially a lot of those scenes that like he really wants you to see uh, i still think of when you see lloyd when randall sees lloyd for the first time and like yeah. he's so emaciated the skin is tight over his face yes like that's such a cool way to describe something that it's still sticking with me um you know larry's and story you feel like you're there oh yeah like you feel like you can almost see it in your mind's eye and you can't see every like you know and he's been in that situation so long now that you can feel that situation and then he's mm -hmm. that description of him really gives you an edge over it almost yeah. or uh and larry's story larry's story will stick with me for like ever i love larry so much yeah. he's so good lawson underwood like 10 <laughs> out of 10 character um yeah so plot which would be story and characters 10 I mean, yeah, that is 10. This is a great story. You know, you think it's going to be about the flu, but it has nothing to do about the flu. But then it turns out it's about God. And then also Randall Flagg and Tom Cullen and Kojak. It's and, great. And these characters, I mean... The characters are amazing. The characters are amazing. These are the characters. These are, And again, this is something that is... You want to know what happens next. You want yeah. to know what happens. Next. I want to. I want to know what, what happens we just more. About what? Who? What? Let's let's get some fan fiction. Let's get some things yeah. going. Let's get a sequel. Because um, I just want to know. And and that's something that I, he has always done so well for me. Is right. That he makes the characters somebody that you you feel like you know, and so you want to know what happens next. Yeah. You're about so to also be, attend. You're about to be disappointed in me. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't think that there's anything like specifically special in it factor about this book. Okay. Like there, it's a really amazing book. It's a really great novel, but I can think of like 40 like, just like it. Well, and I can think of 40 that are just like four good friends going on an adventure to kill an ultimate evil and then getting back home to like their loved ones. Yeah. So I like mean, it, it is kind of that trope. It, it, it truly is. And I, but I mean, that was his goal when he wrote it. It absolutely was. He wanted to write a great American fantasy. He mm -hmm. wanted to write a Tolkien that was set in America. Right. And he did that. But because he did that, it doesn't make this novel specifically special. It doesn't make it as special as Misery for me. Mm -hmm. And I, I can see that. Does that because misery is just that. written from a point of view that is uniquely his, you know, with yes. a number one fan being so controlling like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas this is, you know, I've I can think of like three movies that I've seen this year alone that are like a, the similar archetype and trope of it. And while I'm saying that now in the modern sense, and you could come back and say like, but this book's forty years old. I can also think of a Beowulf and a Gilgamesh and a, you know seven oh, yeah, Shakespeare's. Is, right. So this story in itself is a basic story. Right. It is a basic plot line. It's a story that's been told a thousand different ways. Um, but I enjoy his. The way he does it is I incredible, it. and I right, think that's why, why I think the writing is a ten. I feel like maybe I should give the plot then a lesser number. But the thing is, for the plot, if we include the characters in it, I, right. the, characters the characters make it are above average for a, a fantasy like this. Right. Like, these characters are better than all of the Tolkien characters. This is, the characters are what make this. The characters are what give it its Give it, it its a factor, which is yeah. why, for me, it gets a seven. Or maybe, a, I think I'm going to give it a six. 
because I really want to have like I think we've been we've been too nice with the three books that we've read I think we have been but I'm going to give it an eight because I you know I love these characters and I'm like and I keep and I read this book the first time and I actually read the abridged version the first time I probably read it the first time in 86 or 7 mm-hmm. and here we are in 2021 and I've read this book probably eight times no and that's because I always come back to it and you know I'm always in a different spot personally when I come back to it and so it's a it's a different story for me you know when I read it when I was pregnant with my oldest son I really related to Franny because here I was 18 and pregnant and right you know it was so I really related to Franny well I'm reading it as the 28 year old who's really starting to like realize some harsh truths about himself and is trying to like evolve and become a better person and so Larry is somebody that I'm just connecting with so strongly uh you know and I think that Part of the factor for me too is like we said, it's about if I'd reread it. Yeah, I would want to. I will reread this book. I'm telling you now, like I for sure will. Like, right. and it will probably resonate with me in a different way. Exactly. The thing and is, if you read for, it in five or six or eight, ten years, you're gonna go, oh. I think for me, part of the factor has to be about if I'm gonna try and convince someone else to read it, mm-hmm. and I just don't think I could convince, could convince anyone else to read this book unless they're also doing a Stephen King podcast anytime <laughs> soon. Right. <laughs> just okay. because it's such a. It's a trek. It is a it trek. Is. It is It is a commitment. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what? It took us two months to go through it all. And I mean, yeah. we were going slow, so that we could really, like, if I was reading this on my own, I would have probably gotten to, I would have gotten to when uh, Nadine and them got to the free zone and all of that and stuff. Like, I wouldn't uh, be able to stop. I'm done. Oh, yeah. No, no. Like, I, <laughs> like, I think up to that point, it would have been a trek because I would have, like, really because had there to. Was so it would have been building. a toilet book for me at that point, which <laughs> right. I know it sounds gross, but it's also like it's something you it's keep in your bathroom right. so that way, you know, you have 10, but 15 then, minutes to read like you just do. Right. And then you start carrying it around with you because and then all of a sudden you're like, minutes, wait a you're second. A yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The only downside of the stand is that I can't carry this in my pocket. Right. Well, <laughs> which is, you know, why the Kindle is. It's why the Kindle's okay. Yeah. I don't like. I don't particularly like electronic books. But I still have a lot of Kindle books. But. <laughs> You know, when I travel, I carry my Kindle because it's a whole lot easier to carry than to carry a half a dozen. Or like when I have 10, 15 minutes at work, I can just sit down and read out to people a little bit. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, Okay. So rating wise, let's see what we got. 9, 10, 8 for Kim. So we got 27. Mm Mm-hmm. And then an 8, 10, 16, and 24. So I, you gave it a 9 overall, and I gave it an 8 overall. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like that that's a, a pretty solid place oh, to yeah. be. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's still definitely going to – it makes it better than – oh, it's still the bottom of the three books that we've read, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it is. But I think that, like, the, we both knew Misery was going to be, like, one of our favorite things. Absolutely. Like, that's why we started with it. it exactly. And, and it's just such a – Misery is just such a unique – Story perspective mm-hmm. um, it's not a perspective you can get from a lot of other places right right because it's so personal to him yeah and, and that's what made it so cool and the fact that he actually writ- wrote misery to not be his book it wasn't supposed to be published in his name it was supposed to be published under his pen name so he could go places that he may not go for his mainstream audience um but then he got outed. So uh, then they found out that Richard Bachman is Richard there. Bachman yeah. is Stephen King. So it came out in his name. So it's it's really the first book that he wrote. The first book that was published under his actual name that was very very different. You know, when we get to the Bachman books later, um, the first books that he published, 
Um, in fact, specifically, I can think of Thinner. Um, there's a review of Thinner that I read years and years ago that said this is uh, this is what Stephen King would write if Stephen King could write. Um, <laughs> so I mean, it, it, he just it, it's just a different perspective from Misery because of that. Um, That's interesting. I'm really excited to read some of those. Then I know we have one scheduled coming up. Yes, we do. Um, Thank you for making me read this book, though. I yeah. really like, like, I'm really happy. I'm really excited. Uh, if you haven't like seen our first episode of the our Patreon talking about the Stand mini series that came out in 2020, uh, we're starting to go through that on our Patreon and talk about that. Um, and I'm really excited to keep doing that. Yes, um, me too. I'm excited now to see the rest of it. Um, yeah, no, and like see what they do, and, and like they do the final episode is written do. by Stephen King, and like yeah. apparently like it's Stephen causing a lot of waves too. I, I keep seeing that, but I keep trying to. Not I don't want to read anything about it. I want to be able to form my own opinions. Yeah, exactly, um, and I really, really like. I hope they just put a sword fight in there. You know, <laughs> right? Like one know, sword just, fight would make I know, me you so talked happy. About that sword fight through the, the whole, whole thing, thing, and I you're just sitting here knowing there's no coming. sword fight. There's no sword fight. Why would you even? Be inc- so disappointed. <laughs> I, I mean, like, what is this graphic even supposed to be well, then? I mean, it's the ultimate battle of good and evil. The ultimate battle of good and evil should have involved swords. I know. Does good have a sword, or does that have the scythe? No, does good evil has a sword? Why, based because on Michael, what mythology in this novel? Archangel carries a sword. I didn't know that in the stand. No, it was never discussed. It's in like the book, to but, understand you know, some of this thing. book, I have to go and read the Bible too, <laughs> I mean, and it's like things that you do need to cross reference. Yeah, I'm just um, Google Cliff Notes for the Bible. <laughs> right, there you go. <laughs> I got a lot of Stephen King to read. I don't got time for no Saint James as well. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. So next week we're gonna cover apt pupil the second story of different seasons a short collection of stories by stephen king four novellas and we're going to do uh the summer book next apt pupil which is really Mm -hmm. after that we're going to have a couple episodes of the first series episode of the earth first series the first book in the dark tower series yeah so we're going to do a couple episodes i think we're we're aiming for two so we can do the first two books and then the second two books yeah well that one's a, a short it's not very long, so I feel well, like. Well, I feel like after this, everything episodes. is going to feel short. Well, until we get to. Needful things, I think, is our next like big one. The, yeah. And, and eleven sixty three twenty three, and then. Well, eleven twenty two sixty three is not quite as big, but then when we get to it. it that's another eighter, I'm sure. Oh yeah, at least. Yeah. Um, I want to say we haven't uh, really had a chance to do this, but I want to say like thank you. Uh, we record all of our stuff in stage two, uh, at three two one. Uh, which is a really great theater that Kim and I are both very involved in. Um, but really grateful that we get to use that space. I uh, wanted to say thank you to Kurt uh, Payne for our art uh, at Who Knew Art. It's really, really incredible. It's really wonderful, and we're so grateful that we get to use that. Um, Jason Rager is the incredible uh, conductor and composer, composer behind our music. our music. And I was I was, I was, was talking to Darby about this last night. Every time I, like, I edit in that music. I get so excited. Like, it's we have so our own theme great. song, and it's so good. Um, I wanted to say thank you to Tess Smith, who's just joined our team at Empty Theater Productions as our social media director. Yes. Um, Darwi and Jocelyn and everybody else in our lives that supports us. Supports and ungodly amounts. Absolutely. Uh, and Brad Elliott, Brad Elliott, Paula Rager, and Don Payne for and Ronnie being, Jonah, Ronnie Jonah for, for being patrons. Our patrons. So you know that we can. These improvements to do are happening grades. because of you. So <laughs> yeah. thank you. And uh, 
Anyway, join us next week. Next week. Can't wait. And then, uh, yeah, also, just something that we've been looking at. You should definitely uh, make sure that you're following us on Facebook, Empty Theater Productions. You're going to be seeing that Facebook page soon because we're going to start putting out some more podcasts, and we're going to we're gonna create a whole arm of podcasts. We're going to be doing some young adult fiction. We're going to be doing some video games, some D&D stuff, some review podcasts. So if there's anything that in particular that you would like to hear or listen to from either of us, yeah. please let us know let us at know. podcast at gmail.com. Or at Kim at FirstTimeThrough.com. Or FirstTimeThroughPodcast.com. Or Otto at FirstTimeThroughPodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting. Great job today. If you would like to support First Time Through, you can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, or send us an email at FirstTimeThroughPodcast at gmail.com. You can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash first time through to get exclusive early access, to get exclusive videos, and to become our exclusive friends. If that's interested to you, I'm interested. First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock is produced by Empty Theater Productions. It's created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins. Editing by Otto Mullins. Music by Jason Rager. Art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.